Well, guys, it's good to be back. You are listening to the Zach Pearl Sports Podcast here on the 8th day of September. My name is Zach Pearl, and we are here today back with you guys. We are talking sports in anticipation for the 2021 NFL season. And I know it's been a while since I've recorded on this podcast and since I spoke with you guys. It's obviously been a couple months, but you guys know one thing is for sure. Football season is back. College basketball season will be back here before you know it. And when those two seasons kick off along with many other sports across the United States of America, you guys know that we are going to be talking about it here on the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. There will be content coming on this show from now until the end of college basketball season, if not further than then. Obviously, we just had a lot of things going on over the last couple of months, finishing up school, getting that first job uh, producing in the sports radio industry. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'll get more into that uh, another time. But we are here today. We are talking football on today's show. And there is no other better way to start off another football season here on the Zach Carl Sports Podcast with some predictions because during today's episode, in anticipation for Thursday Night Football uh, tomorrow night and the start of the NFL season, we are going to go across all eight divisions. I'll give you guys my division winners, who my wild cards are going to be, my MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, and I'll give you guys my thoughts on each and every one of the 32 teams in the NFL. Last year, if you listened to this show, we had so much fun breaking down the NFL, going over each game each week, going over particular storylines. There is nothing better than talking football and talking sports with you guys. And in the biggest NFL season ever, the first time this year, there's going to be 17 games as they added the one more along with the extra playoff team, which was put into the NFL last year. It is the biggest season ever, and there are just going to be so many different things for us to talk about in the NFL on this show. Fans are back in the stands. We were obviously watching some college football over the last couple days, and they were just some rowdy, rowdy fans, some great atmospheres, which really makes sports great. I really think as a fan, I undervalue just how important a crowd was uh, at these sporting events and how just great they make the actual atmosphere, especially when you're there uh, just going to a bunch of baseball games this summer. It was so great to find myself back at a live sporting event. Also, my Twitter page is the best way to find all of my content, all of my information. If you listened and followed along last season, I would post graphics on my Twitter account for my picks with some predictions. I'm going to do that with uh, my record predictions for each team before the start of the season as well. The Twitter account, at ZKRULL3, that is the best place to find all my content, ZKRULL3, along with my YouTube page, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-R-U-L-L, all of the video segments from this podcast will be featured uh, on my YouTube page as well. Obviously, we did a lot of work during uh, the NFL season and March Madness last year, but I've done enough talking. It's been a great time to start off this show, but we have some divisions to preview. We have some football to talk about. So without further ado, sit back, grab a drink, enjoy the ride for the 2021 Zach Curl Sports Podcast NFL Preview and Predictions Podcast. 
Without further ado, let's get to it. The first division we will be going over today as we will be starting off in the AFC is the AFC South. And the AFC South is such an interesting division because I feel like historically we look at these teams, the Titans and the Colts and the Jaguars and the Texans, and even going into this season, I feel like a lot of people would consider the AFC South to be one of the worst and most boring divisions in football. However, the way I see it, when I look at this division, I actually really like and I'm intrigued by the amount of possible storylines going in. Uh, each team has one in particular. When you look at the Tennessee Titans, they lose Arthur Smith, a guy that I think was very, very important to making this Tennessee Titan offense one of the best offenses in the league over the past couple of years. And we saw since he started to work with Arthur Smith, just how much of an improvement Ryan Tannehill uh, had going back to his days as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. We look at the Indianapolis Colts and their quarterback situation. I really did think at many times during the season last year that the Indianapolis Colts were literally just a quarterback away. One of those moments were in the playoff game against the Buffalo Bills where I really did think that even though Phillip Rivers I think had a good regular season. I think he was about as good as anyone could have really asked for him to be. The Indianapolis Colts did not have a quarterback that was able to make plays and put the team on his back during that playoff game against the Bills. And I think at many other times during the Colts season, I think the lack of quarterback play could have been one of the many reasons why ultimately it was the Tennessee Titans who ended up winning the AFC South last year. We know everything that has been going on as of late with Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans situation. Deshaun Watson has 22 uh, lawsuits against him right now. Obviously, we don't know what the results of those lawsuits are or what really is going to happen. But I do think if he was on another team, a team that he really wanted to play for, then he would have already been on the commissioner's exempt list already. Roger Goodell just didn't really bother with it yet because he knows Deshaun Watson doesn't really plan on never playing another snap for the Houston Texans again. So Goodell was just like, yeah, there's no point if he's not going to play anyway. We all know everything going on uh, with Deshaun and his thoughts on the Texans organization. We'll obviously have to wait and see until all of the stuff off the field gets uh, cleaned up. And even the Jacksonville Jaguars, we saw them uh, on Monday Night Football in a preseason game a couple weeks ago against the New Orleans Saints and Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence and everything that those two guys bring to the table. I think part of what makes the NFL such a great sport is that the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that has been around for the past 20, 25 years and to be honest with you guys, no one has really cared about them. They've made a couple AFC Championship games, but I never remember going into a season saying wow I'm actually really looking forward to everything going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars this season I have rarely said okay I'm gonna make time to watch the Jacksonville Jaguars play a game on Sunday but I do believe for the first time in a long time this season there are going to be people who want to watch Urban Meyer and want to watch Trevor Lawrence and see everything that's going on in Jacksonville. So I do think the AFC South is a super uh, intriguing division, even though from the outside, a lot of football fans won't realize it. 
to start off, my pick to win the AFC South is going to be the Indianapolis Colts. And right now, when you look at the Colts, their over-under win total in Vegas is 9 on the dot, and they are plus 125 to win the AFC South. The uh, Tennessee Titans are minus 150 to win the South. Uh, If you're not sure what those terms mean, if you want to bet $100 on the Colts, you would win 125 for them to win the AFC South for the Titans. If you want to win $10, you would have to risk $15, $100. You would have to risk 150 They are the favorite Tennessee is. But for Indianapolis, they are my pick to win this division with a record of 10-7. and seven. And Indianapolis is a team that I really like, starting with their GM and their coach. When Carson Wentz uh, went down earlier in the preseason with what a lot of people thought to be a broken foot. I just remember sitting back and saying to myself, what has Frank Reich and Chris Ballard done to the football gods for them to just have the absolute worst luck in terms of everything that has gone down over the last couple of years? We know that Josh McDaniels originally was supposed to be the one who replaced Chuck Pagano a couple of years ago as the head coach in Indianapolis. And Josh McDaniels said, screw it. I do not want to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I would rather stay uh, in New England as their offensive coordinator. We obviously know everything that went down with Andrew Luck. He not only retires when most people thought he had a good three, four years left, but he retires right before the start of the season, leaving Indianapolis in a tough, tough spot. They ultimately ended up going with Jacoby Brissett. And uh, we know what has happened since then. And then this year with Carson Wentz, their starting quarterback, a guy that they gave up a first-round pick for, uh, he went down. However, if you are a Colt fan, it does look like Carson Wentz and Quinn Nelson, one of the best, off- probably the best offensive guard and offensive lineman in the league. I think a Hall of Fame, once-in-a-generational type player at offensive guard. It looks like him and Wentz, who suffered a similar uh, type of foot injury, it looks like both of those guys are going to be on the field for the Indianapolis Colts week one against the Seattle Seahawks. I think if you are an Indianapolis Colt fan, that is great, great news. And it just comes down to this for me, right? I have always been a Carson Wentz believer. I understand that. I will tell you that. I was a guy that has been super high on the Philadelphia Eagles over the last couple of years based on him being their starting quarterback. And in some instances, it is, I've been right. In some instances, I have been wrong. But one thing is for certain. Last year, Carson Wentz was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. He lost the Philadelphia Eagles many games, and he just was not good. And there are no excuses for that. We all know that in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson had a rough, rough ending. But another thing I know for sure is that Carson Wentz and Frank Reich have played together before. Reich has coached Wentz before. And I've heard in many interviews over the course of the offseason that Frank Reich and Carson Wentz speak the same football language. They both know what's going on. They both know each other's strengths and each other's weaknesses. And I do trust and believe in Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and that Colts regime that they brought in the right player and the right quarterback in Carson Wentz. I think the good news, if you're a Colt fan, is that you don't really need Carson Wentz to be the main reason why you're winning and losing games. You just need him not to screw up, not to turn the ball over. And I think Frank Reich... And Chris Ballard, I just...
just trust them. They've done a great job building this roster from guys like Quentin Nelson uh, on, on the offensive line. They also have some young skill position players that I think could be really good in Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. And that defense just has some dogs, man. Darius Leonard is a player that could play for my team any day of the week. I'm also a huge DeForest Buckner fan. They gave up a first round pick for him, but I think it's well worth it. He is a uh, miniature version of Aaron Donald. He is that good. He could get to the quarterback. Um, I also really like Julian Blackman, the safety they drafted uh, last year from Utah. He was one of the better rookies on defense in the NFL last year. I believe in this Colts defense. I really do. I believe in Frank Reich. And I do think that Carson Wentz, knowing that this is it for him, if he does not succeed this season, it is going to be very hard for Carson Wentz to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And yes, Carson Wentz, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year, and he was terrible. He needs to be better than that if this Indianapolis Colts team wants to win football games. But I think he will be better than that, and I do think the Colts, and with their quarterback knowing that if he doesn't succeed this season, uh, this it's it. They are my pick to win the AFC South. Now, the team I have finishing in second with the record of eight and nine. And I know that record, eight and nine, it's going to surprise some people. It's the Tennessee Titans. Right now in Vegas, the Titans over under number in terms of win total is nine and a half. So I would go with the under there. The Titans, once again, are the favorite to win the AFC South at minus 150. And when it comes to the Titans, I just have some concerns with this team. Last year, the Tennessee Titans offense was so good. It was so dynamic, and they deserve credit. They deservedly so won that AFC South, but I just think regression could be coming. And it's funny because I said that before the season started last year for Tennessee. I wasn't 100% sure if Ryan Tannehill would be able to continue everything he did in 2019 because when the Titans beat New England and they made that deep deep playoff run getting to the AFC championship game against the Chiefs they also had a really good end to the regular season that year I didn't think it was all Ryan Tannehill like Derrick Henry had a lot to do with that and obviously Derrick Henry is just a once in a generational type talent it's very rare that you see a player being able to do what he has done over the last couple years just being able to sit there and put the Titans team on his back running for 2,000 yards back-to-back years is he able to make it three this year we shall see but the Titans lose Arthur Smith a guy that I think was crucial to their offense and creativity and able uh, ability to put up points The problem with Tennessee for me, though, is last year, these guys were literally one of the worst defenses in football. They signed Jadevian Clowney, who was a massive, massive bust, and they didn't really do anything to replace him because they, like, he didn't do anything to begin with. Now, they do bring in Bud Dupree. His injuries worry me. He obviously tore his ACL before last season ended in Pittsburgh, and I just don't trust this Titan defense, period. Janoris Jenkins, Christian Fulton at corner was the kid they uh, drafted from LSU. They bring in Imani Hooker. Like, there are names on this defense, and there's no reason why it should be as bad as it's been over the last couple years. But this defense just gave up way too many points last year. And I don't think this year their offense is going to be able to outscore their defense's inefficiencies. I like Mike Vrabel as a head coach. I think he's really overachieved since the start of his tenure as head coach of the Tennessee Titans. But I just think the Indianapolis Colts are a way more complete team than Tennessee. I trust Frank Reich a smidge more than Mike Vrabel. And 
even though Tennessee might have the better quarterback, I think Indianapolis's offensive line and defense is so much better than Tennessee's that ultimately it will give them the edge. I just don't think Ryan Tannehill is going to be able to lead this offense to outscore uh, all the points that their defense is ultimately going to give up. I like Indy in first in the AFC South, Tennessee in second. In third in this AFC South, I will have the Jacksonville Jaguars with a record of 4-13. and And it's funny because I actually think there's some talent on the Jaguars. Obviously, we know just how talented of a quarterback Trevor Lawrence is. James Robinson, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault is a young wide receiver I really like. And by the way, I said uh, 4-13. and 13. I'm actually, I actually meant 3-14 and 14 for my final record prediction for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But... I just watched that uh, preseason Monday night game, Jaguars-Saints, a couple weeks ago, and I just saw Urban Meyer on the sideline, and it really did hit me. It is so hard to make the transition from college to the NFL. In college, you literally have all of the power over the players. You could threaten them with anything. There is really no guaranteed roster spot for them. You like Obviously, it's, a player is going to has to do something major to get cut from a college team like cheat or something or um you know just really mess up but at the same time you're the coach you have all the power in the nfl these players are getting paid they're under contract some players are getting paid more than you there's some guys off the field that have kids that have to deal with three four baby mamas like urban meyer has a lot to learn in that regard and it's really not easy and even though urban is one of the best college coaches i've ever seen i do not think this operation is going to work with the jaguars i would at least not right away and probably not in the near future i just cannot trust this jaguars franchise as far as i could throw them and the more I look at this hire, it's kind of giving me some John Gruden vibes as a hire that was made to really only impress the fans and get them excited. Obviously, the Jaguars have been super irrelevant in Jacksonville over the last couple of years. And I do think if you're a Jaguar fan and you want one positive, it's going to be that other people for the first time in a while are actually going to be interested in viewing and watching your games. But at the same time, I just don't see them being very good on the football field. And I do think there's a reason why when you ask a lot of people in football circles, who do we think ultimately is going to be the best quarterback in this draft class? Even though for the last couple of years, while watching him at Clemson, we've all said that Trevor Lawrence is a once in a generational type quarterback prospect that any team would be lucky to get their hands on. There's a reason why no one is saying that long-term he's going to be the best one in this group. And I think a lot of it has to do with the situation. I cannot trust this Jaguar team as far as I could throw them. They will be my prediction to come in third place in the AFC South with a record of three and 14. They are plus 650 to win the South. And right now they're over under win total is six and a half. I will take the under there. And then finally, the team I finishing in fourth place with the record of two and 15 is the Houston Texans who it's just unbelievable in the past two years everything that has gone on with this team it really doesn't seem like that long ago the Houston Texans were sitting here with Deshaun Watson as their starting quarterback DeAndre Hopkins as their top wide receiver and there were things to be really optimistic about but then owner Cal McNair decided to bring to give Bill O'Brien really all the power and he traded DeAndre Hopkins the Texans were up 24 to nothing in the AFC divisional playoffs in Arrowhead Stadium against the Kansas City Chiefs and they blew that lead so fast and really nothing has been the same 
since. And it's just crazy because this is what happens when you're just an unorganized, undisciplined organization with power struggles all over the place. We know that Jack Easterby, the former minister or church choir leader in New England, him and Deshaun Watson didn't get along because Jack Easterby was really the guy making all of the football-related decisions. Deshaun Watson wasn't too thrilled about that, and he wants to be traded. And now everything that's been going on off the field with Deshaun Watson, it is really a question mark if he's ever going to be able uh, to play football again for the Houston Texans, if he ever will. But it might be a while until we see Deshaun. And I think Nick Cesario, the Texans GM, is a guy I wanted to talk about a little bit. I don't trust this guy. I don't love what he's all about. The Texans have been bringing guys from New England under that Belichick model from the past couple of years. And I think when you're doing that from a head coaching perspective, we've really seen that not be able to work. Now you're doing that with a general manager. You're bringing in executives from New England who really haven't accomplished anything. And Nick Cesaro was out here letting Deshaun Watson be the talk in NFL circles during training camp, even though we all know he's really not going to probably play this season. If I'm the Houston Texans, I would have just sent Deshaun Watson home instead of wasting everyone's time and letting him be the fourth team quarterback or the first string scout safety. Like, I don't know. It's a joke. It's really a joke. Everything going on in Houston with Deshaun Watson and really how the whole situation has been handled. It obviously wasn't the Texans' fault that Deshaun Watson got involved with these 22 women, but at the same time, I just think they could have handled the situation a little better. They brought in guys like Mark Ingram and Philip Lindsay. They have Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback, but I do think this Texan team is not talented at all. They do have a chance to win their week one game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and if Urban Meyer really wants to get off to at least a somewhat good start, win that game. Because if you lose to the Houston Texans, a team that a lot of people are saying could win only one or two games this season, that is just going to be an awful, awful start for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right now, the Texans' over-under win total is 4 I think they go 2-14 and and go under that win total. So to recap my picks in the AFC South, I have the Colts winning the division with a record of 10-7. and I'll go Tennessee in second, being one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL. I think they're due for regression. Record of 8-9. and I will have the Jaguars in third, 3-14. and Texans fourth, 2-15. and Those are my thoughts on the AFC South. Continuing with our AFC preview, let's go on now to the AFC West division. And my pick to win the AFC West will be the defending two-time AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs. They will be my pick to win the AFC West with a record of 13-4. and Their over-under in Vegas is 12.5, and, and their odds to win the Super Bowl uh, right now Plus 450, I will get you their odds uh, for the Chiefs to win the division in just one second as I get it up here. Kansas City right now to win the AFC West is minus 350. So if you want to risk $10, you would have to risk 35. I think when we watch the Kansas City Chiefs over the last couple of years, really since Patrick Mahomes has been named their starting quarterback, we have seen a result of what happens when you combine one of the best head coaches in the league and a great offensive mind in Andy Reid with an elite talent in at quarterback in Patrick Mahomes and then elite skill position players like Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. What scares 
What should scare the rest of the league about the Kansas City Chiefs is that last year, especially in the Super Bowl, their clear weakness was the offensive line. I've never seen a quarterback run for his life as much as I saw Patrick Mahomes just scrambling and scrambling and scrambling for his life in the Super Bowl. And Kansas City, their offensive line is much improved. They obviously bring in some big-time additions like Joe Tooney, a guard from the New England Patriots, as well as Orlando Brown, the former Baltimore Raven. And I think if you ask me, Zach, what was, in your opinion, the most impactful move made during this past NFL offseason? And my answer to that question would actually be the Chiefs bringing in Orlando Brown because they stole him from the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens just decided they wanted to pay Ronnie Stanley. He obviously got hurt last year. It was super unfortunate uh, how everything went down. Orlando Brown wanted to play left tackle, and the Ravens didn't want to make that happen. So they let go of Orlando Brown. He is now the chief starting left tackle along with Joe Tooney at left guard from New England. They bring in a pair of rookies, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, along with Lucas Niang, the second-year player who right now is projected to start at right tackle. And I think offensive line could be a big key for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think at this point, we know what their offense is going to do. They're going to put up a whole lot of points, even their defense. It's not the best unit in the world, but being led with guys... Uh, like uh, Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, and Frank Clark and Chris Jones. They bring in Jaron Reed, Derek Nanny. Like, the Chiefs defense has guys that can make plays. I'm also a huge fan of Legarius Sneed, the young second-year corner from Louisiana Tech, one of the more underrated players in the NFL. He proved very early on in his career that he could be a top corner, and I only expect him to get better. I love what Steve Spagnola has done running this defense, and the Chiefs have gone to the Super Bowl the last two years. They know how to win. They will be my pick to win the AFC West. What Patrick Mahomes has done throughout the course of the start of his career has been unbelievable. Uh, There have been very few players I've ever seen that have accomplished nearly as much as he has, and he is only getting better. He's only getting uh, towards his prime, closer to his prime, and I think that's when we watch Patrick Mahomes. We are just so amused. Kansas City will be my pick to win uh, the AFC West. All Andy Reid has done over the last couple years has been win divisions. I don't think he'll have any trouble here. I also expect Kansas City's run game to get much better. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire could be a guy that has a nice season. I think last year that was another component that Kansas City was missing a little bit. They were never really able, I think, to establish a clear, consistent running game. They obviously took Edwards-Alaire with a first-round pick in 2020. They're going to want to see a little more out of him. I think they could get it. Kansas City will be my pick to win the AFC West at 14 and three. My pick to come in second place, I will have this team as a wild card and I'll go over my full seven playoff teams uh, before this show ends. It's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think the Chargers are a team that over the last couple of years, they have not lacked talent. They have always had really good talent being led by guys like Phil Rivers at quarterback and then Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Derwin James. They've always had players that can make big-time plays. However, that talent never equated 
to wins. And we all tried to figure out why. But I think for the first time in a while last year, we saw that Anthony Lynn just wasn't made to be an NFL head coach. They were a number of games where the Chargers lost last year simply because Anthony Lynn just didn't know how to manage a clock. His clock management was embarrassing. And I do think the Chargers absolutely made the right decision letting him go. Enough was enough. You just had to take that guy out of his misery over the past two, three years. How many just close, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, devastating losses have this Los Angeles Chargers team had? And enough was enough. And I like the guy they bring in. They bring in former Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley. And if you look at Brandon Staley's resume, a lot of people would be confused. And they would ask themselves, how is this guy... After only spending a couple of years as the Chicago Bears linebackers coach and then only one year as the Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator, how does this guy get an NFL head coaching job? And I just think it's because he's so smart. He made a clear impact with that Los Angeles Rams defense. They always had talent, but they were the best defense in the NFL last year. And there were many games they won, including that playoff game against Seattle, where that Rams defense stepped up and made big-time plays and really was able to just put the team and the offense that was really struggling on its back and Another thing that this Chargers defense doesn't lack is talent. Brandon Staley is going to coach Joey Bosa and Derwin James and Asante Samuel Jr. and guys like that, uh, guys like that. And I think the Chargers, with that talent, with hopefully a guy who knows how to utilize it, should be one of the better teams in the AFC. We know about Justin Herbert, just how good he looked last year. And it is crazy that the Los Angeles Chargers throughout camp last year, and funny, like no one was at practice last year. So we didn't really know due to the COVID protocols how exactly a guy like Justin Herbert was progressing throughout camp. And then we see Tyrod Taylor play that week one game against the Cincinnati Bengals. I remember the Chargers really had no business winning that game. And it was clear after watching that, it's like, is Tyrod Taylor really an NFL starting quarterback that could win games anymore? And then we know what happened week two against Kansas City pregame. That poor doctor punctures his lung and Justin Herbert steps in and he only throws, what, 35 touchdowns, 10 interceptions and clearly wins offensive rookie of the year. It, quite frankly, wasn't that close. I think we could only expect Justin Herbert to get better playing with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton, KJ Hill, the youngster Josh Palmer. They bring in Jared Cook. I really like this Chargers team. I think they're a playoff team. There's too much talent. I obviously really like uh, the Brandon Staley hire. And I think it's going to be a big-time season for the Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert has done a lot in terms of bringing up and raising the popularity of the Los Angeles Chargers in their city. We all know that LA has the Dodgers and the Lakers and the Rams and USC and UCLA and really so many other fun stuff to do that doesn't involve sports. The Chargers, I really didn't love the decision to move to Los Angeles. Money aside, San Diego was their home. San Diego was where they had all their fans. And 
in Los Angeles the first couple of years, it, it was an embarrassment. They were playing in a soccer stadium. You guys remember when the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, a couple of primetime games, just took over that stadium? I know Steelers fans are the best, and they like to travel a lot, but the Chargers needed a real stadium. Now they have that playing at SoFi Stadium with some fans in the stands for the first time. I think there's going to be some serious buzz around this Los Angeles Charger team. I think Brandon Staley is the real deal. He is just a smart mind. I believe he's an Ivy League grad. And look, if Sean McVay just hires you to replace Wade Phillips, keep that in mind. Sean McVay said bye to Wade Phillips, a guy who as a head coach and as a defensive coordinator has won a bunch in this league. He was the defensive coordinator for that Bronco team that ended up winning the Super Bowl with Demarcus Ware and Von Miller. Sean McVay said goodbye to that guy for Brandon Staley. And he got crushed for it. The crazy thing is, it worked because Brandon Staley had the Rams defense playing at an elite level last year. I think he's going to have the Chargers and that defense playing up to a high standard. I like the Chargers to finish second place in the AFC West with a record of 10-7. and My third place team in the AFC West is the Denver Broncos. And I think it's a real shame here because I do believe if the Broncos had any quarterback play I would be pretty high on this team I actually picked this team to make the playoffs last year with Drew Locke under center from what I watched last season I was just like enough's enough I don't think Drew Locke could really be their starting quarterback of the future but I do think there's some talent on this team they bring in uh, Javante Williams a young running back who could run the ball from Buffalo they obviously will get Cortland Sutton back and healthy coming off the devastating torn ACL Jerry Judy is a player that I think will be much improved this year but the problem is this their quarterback Teddy Bridgewater is a guy who I consider to be an elite backup quarterback if your starter gets hurt and you need this guy to go four and one in a five-game stretch we saw what he was able to do in New Orleans but we also saw last year in Carolina He was just so bland, and he just couldn't elevate and push the ball downfield, and the Panthers were in a lot of games last year. They were competitive, and I actually do think that could be a similar case with this Bronco team. But my problem is if you need Teddy Bridgewater to make a play late, he is not going to be able to get the job done. On a big third and 12, when you need your quarterback sitting back in the pocket with all the pressure to make that one big throw, can Teddy Bridgewater get the job done? I don't think he can. And to be honest, even though Vic Fangio is an elite defensive coordinator, he is one of the best and smartest defensive minds in all of football. He had Brandon Staley as his linebacker coach, another endorsement of Staley. If you're Vic Fangio's linebackers coach, you really know what you're doing. But I just think Vic Fangio falls under the category of a guy who is a really good defensive coordinator, but is just not suited to be a leader on both sides of the ball. And that's fine. He's just an elite defensive coordinator. I just don't know if I could trust him as a head coach to elevate his whole team, offense and defense, and have them win games. And I do think that the Broncos are a team, going back to their quarterback situation, it starts in the front office. If I'm Denver... I like Patrick Sertain. I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. I think he has the chance to be an elite corner and a a really good player for a long time in this league. But 
if Justin Fields works out in Chicago, and if you haven't listened to me and my opinion over the last couple weeks, I think Justin Fields is a baller. I think he is a guy that is athletic. He is fast. He can make all the throws. And obviously, the Bears' offensive line is in shambles. Um, I don't quite frankly understand why they're starting Andy Dalton over Justin Fields, but we're going to get to the NFC North uh, later in this show. The Broncos could have had him. And instead, they took another player on defense. And the issue I had with that pick was that Denver, over the last couple of years, haven't been lacking talent on defense. I understand Von Miller was hurt last year. But even when he was healthy the year before, they had guys like Bradley Chubb and Justin Simmons, who I consider to be one of the more underrated players in all of the NFL. Shelby Harris, Mike Purcell. They didn't need another corner. They needed a quarterback and... They gave Teddy Bridgewater the job over Drew Locke. If they wanted to make the case why they passed for Fields was that they thought that Drew Locke could still realistically be the starter, then fine. But to me, that couldn't be the case because Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater were neck and neck. If I were in that situation, I would have given Drew Locke the job because he makes he has a better opportunity to make the big play. He has a greater opportunity to make other players around him better. Teddy Bridgewater is just a game manager, and I'll give him credit. He doesn't screw up. He is not going to be a quarterback that particularly loses your team's games. But at the same time, I just think when you're out here competing with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and even Derek Carr, we're going to get to the Raiders in a bit, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is necessarily the right quarterback to win you games. So for that reason, I am not high on the Denver Broncos. I could see Vic Fangio not having a job by season's end. I will predict the Broncos to finish third in the AFC West with a record of 7-10. and 10. Finally, the team that I will have in fourth in the AFC West is John Gruden and the Las Vegas Raiders. And I'll start off by saying this. I actually think John Gruden is lucky that he had and signed a 10-year contract extension to to become the head coach of the Raiders because I actually think if his contract was shorter, then there was a really good chance that he would be on the hot seat right now and he would be entering this season in a must-win situation. Obviously, the Raiders are not going to be firing him with all the money that he is owed over the next four or five years. So it's an important season for the Raiders. And I'll start off by saying this. I think that the Raiders' situation last year, moving during a COVID season, playing in a brand new stadium and a brand new city uh, the first season, and you don't have fans, that is just very odd. And for the first 11, 12 weeks of last season, I thought the Raiders were playing some really good football. They had one of the more impressive wins in the NFL last year, going into Arrowhead Stadium and beating the Kansas City Chiefs, coming back from a couple touchdown deficits early in that game. We remember what happened later in the season. The Chiefs come into Vegas, classic Sunday night game, a late win for the Kansas City Chiefs. And really, after that game, the Raiders just thought, okay, even our losses are close and are good enough. And when you have that attitude, it's just not going to be enough to get you in the playoffs, especially last year when you saw the shape of the AFC. There were just so many good teams competing for the wild card, whether it was Miami or Cleveland or um, you know Tennessee, like Indianapolis. There were so many teams competing for that wild card last year. And ultimately, Oakland or Las Vegas, excuse me, they got left behind. Now, when you look at the Raiders, 
I do think another reason why I'm not particularly high on them is their drafting. There have been many times over the past couple drafts where it's the Raiders' turn to pick, and with the fourth overall pick, they they will take uh, the kid from uh, Clemson, Cleveland Furl, or this year they will take uh, the kid from uh, Alabama, um, Leatherwood, playing right tackle, or they uh, the other kid they took, um, the corner from Ohio State, Damon Arnett, who apparently has not been playing very well at camp at all. What do all three of those picks have in common? The reason I bring those guys up is that at the time, I didn't necessarily call them bad picks because the players were bad. I just thought the Raiders reached on them. If you go by everyone else's draft rankings, the Raiders were taking guys like 20 picks too early. And I'm not criticizing them for wanting to draft those players. That's fine if you really think some player is better than another and the draft rankings don't agree with it. I'm not going to hate on you for taking that player. But trade back. Gain some value. The Raiders easily could have gotten a bunch of those guys later in the draft, but didn't even bother. And I think the shame for the Raiders is that they have talent. I think Derek Carr is a quarterback that is completely capable of winning football games. I think he's a winning quarterback. The problem is his situation over the past couple of years hasn't been ideal. This defense has quite frankly stunk. And you hope with Gus Bradley running things this year instead of Paul Kunther, things will improve. But to be honest with you guys, I don't think it is. I have the Raiders finishing fourth in the AFC West with a record of 6-11. and 11. And once again, it's a shame because there's some talent on this team. I really like Brian Edwards, the young receiver they have. Henry Ruggs from Alabama. Their offensive line is still decent. They do lose Gay Jackson and Rodney Hubson, two centerpieces. Um, hopefully it doesn't decline too much. Honestly, the more I look at it, I think the offensive line might as well just be a big-time concern. Uh, I'm not too high on Josh Jacobs this year, and the OL has a lot to do with it. Darren Waller is obviously a baller. Him and Carl will put up their fair share of points, but I'm out on the Raiders. I don't think their defense is going to be improved enough with the addition of uh, Yannick Ngakwe. And yeah, I'm not too high on the Raiders. I'm not too high on their defense. And I just think the game has passed John Gruden by. You see more a uh, couple of executives in the Raiders front office getting fired over the last couple uh, weeks. How crazy is that? You could just clearly tell that everyone in Vegas is not necessarily on the same page right now. Mark Davis still has a lot of pressure uh, dealing with the casinos and the finances of that brand new stadium uh, they just bought. So I'm concerned for the Raiders. I've been finishing fourth uh, in the AFC West with the, with the record of 6-11. and 11. They've really just blown some big-time opportunities over the last two years to get a playoff spot in one of Gruden's first couple years in Vegas. It's funny. Gruden came in. He traded Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper, and everyone was panicking. It's like, what is this guy doing? Is, is he good? Does he, does he really know what's going on? And then he wins some games early in the past two regular seasons to make fans believe, and then they just fall apart. They collapse the last two years, and if I was a Raider fan, I would really be frustrated. You guys remember that game against the Dolphins when Fitzpatrick came in and beat them last year? Rough. Raiders, fourth place. To recap my AFC West picks, I'll take Kansas City dominating and winning the AFC West with a record of 14 and 3. I'll take the Chargers in second, record of 10 and 7. Broncos in third with a record of 7 and 10. And the Raiders in fourth, 6 and 11. Moving on to the next division that we will be going over today for our NFL preview here on the Zach Crawl Sports Podcast. 
is the AFC East. And I do think for the first time in a while, the AFC East actually has an argument to be not only one of the more competitive, but actually one of the better divisions in the NFL. Last year, this division only got one playoff team, Buffalo. The Bills end up winning the division, but Miami was one win away from the playoffs. New England with a lot of guys on defense opting opting out and not a very good offense. They were still able to win seven games, both Miami, New England should be better. Buffalo obviously looks to improve on the phenomenal season that they had last year. So I do think there are so many intriguing storylines heading into the AFC East. And the AFC East, for me, is actually going to be the division where, in terms of the winner, the team that I am going to predict to end up winning the division, I'm not going chalk. I'm actually going to go with a little bit of a surprise team here with my prediction to win the AFC East. And that is, I am going to predict the Miami Dolphins to win the AFC East with a record of 12-5. and And I know what a lot of people are saying. You're saying, Zach, the Miami Dolphins last year had Tua Tugavailoa and Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, and they still missed the playoffs even when everything went right. They had one of the better defenses in the league. They have a quarterback that still has a lot to prove. What are we doing here picking the Miami Dolphins to win the AFC East? By the way, Miami is plus 300 to win the AFC East. They're over under win total right now is sitting at nine and a half. So I will take the over. When it comes to Tua Tugavailoa, I totally understand that this guy was not very good last year. And he still has so much to prove on the NFL level. But I think the main reason why I'm picking the Miami Dolphins to surprise some people and end up winning the AFC East is not only because of Tua Tugavailoa. I'll admit, I think Tua's obituary has been written way too early considering Everything that was not in his favor going back to last season, when you look at the Miami Dolphins had one of the worst supply of weapons in the NFL. He was thrown to Jakeem Grant and Preston Williams and Devontae Parker. Bringing in guys like Jalen Waddell and Will Fuller will obviously improve the amount of targets that this Miami Dolphins team has for Tua. Also, he clearly wasn't 100% healthy. We remember... The hip surgery that this guy had to have while he was still at Alabama. Injuries were a big concern for this guy coming into his NFL career. But last year, he just wasn't healthy. And I think that was going against him. Also, his head coach, Brian Flores, really didn't ask him to do much. He was only really allowed to throw passes 10 yards or shorter. I think this year, all three of those factors get better for Tugavailoa. I think his weapons are much more improved. I think he's healthier. And I do think Brian Flores, now that he's a year into the system, now that he's going to have a full training camp and a full preseason under his belt, like Tua didn't look terrible in those preseason games. He looked pretty confident. He looked like he was in total control of the offense. I'm not saying that he's going to be some superstar and is going to become the next Dan Marino. I'm not. But what I am saying is, I think that last year, Brian Flores proved to me that he is one of these coaches where until I see with my own two eyes, 
it's very hard for me to bet against this guy. The Dolphins won so many games last year with subpar quarterback play, whether it was Ryan Fitzpatrick or whether it was Tua, and it was really impressive. And now, when I look at this Dolphins roster and when I look at this team, I actually like the talent way more than I liked last year's talent, whether it is bringing in guys like Fuller and Waddle, whether it is uh, improving that offensive line uh, a little bit, obviously adding some guys on defense as well, bringing back a lot of guys from that defense from last year, including both Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. The Xavier Howard contract uh, dispute was a huge issue uh, going into camp. It looks like the Miami Dolphins have found a way uh, to be able to fix that out. And I just really like this team, man. This team led the NFL in third down defense last year. They forced the most turnovers in the league. And I do think their offense is going to be better. I think their defense is one of the five most underrated defense in the league. Maybe number one. They're definitely one of the five to seven best defenses in the league. I'll say that for sure. They have a new offensive coordinator as well. No more Chan Gailey. Two new offensive coordinator. George Goodsey and Eric Studsville will be sharing the reins of the offensive play calling. And I saw Tua Tugavailoa when he was at Alabama even though everyone loves to say he played with the best weapons, which he did. He played with very good weapons. But you cannot be bad. It's almost like Mac Jones when you had that good of a season at Alabama. No matter how good of the weapon, how good the weapons are, I was able to see this guy time in and time out just drop dimes while he was the quarterback at the University of Alabama. I think in the NFL with better weapons, that improves. I love Miami's defense. I just love Brian Flores as a head coach. He's a coach that does more with less and always finds a way to win games. I think Miami wins the AFC East for the first time since Tony Sperano, Ricky Bra- uh, Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams, and those 2008 Dolphins with Chad Pennington. 12-5, Miami wins the AFC East. I am not a Buffalo Bills hater by any means. I know a lot of people are going to look at my standings predictions, picking the Bills to come in second place. I think the Bills are a playoff team. I think they're going to finish with a record of 11-6. and six. Last year, I will fully admit, I was not too high on the Buffalo Bills. I did not think their quarterback was going to be able to win games consistently. He, throughout his first two years in the NFL, quite frankly, was not good. He needed to be better. He was inaccurate. He couldn't really make the right decision. You guys remember those playoff games against the Houston Texans when this guy was out here lateraling the ball um, to the defense um, uh, just about in a tie game in the playoffs. Like This guy was just super erratic, but all of a sudden Josh Allen literally took probably the biggest leap I've ever seen from an NFL quarterback last year when he took this Bills and the NFL by rain and was really able to do a good job leading the Bills to the AFC East. Sean McDermott has done a great job since he got to Buffalo. And this is just a lesson for teams. When you draft a quarterback, no matter how good they are, no matter how bad they are, no matter how much talent they have, you need to do as good of a job as you possibly can by putting that quarterback in a good position to succeed. And I really do think that is exactly what the Buffalo Bills have done with Josh Allen. By bringing in Stephon Diggs last year, last offseason, that literally changed the fortunes of the Buffalo Bills because that made the Bills' passing attack good 
to great, and you clearly saw the effect that it was able to have on Josh Allen as a starting quarterback. They also bring back Dawson Knox and Cole Beasley and um, uh, Emmanuel Sanders is a good addition. Gabriel Davis, one of the deeper receiving cores in the NFL. Now, if the Buffalo Bills want to win the Super Bowl and go back to the Super Bowl, even beat Kansas City, which they still have to prove, obviously, Josh Allen in a couple chances has not been able to beat Patrick Mahomes yet. I think that Buffalo needs to find the balance that they were able to use two years ago when they got uh, to the playoffs and lost that wild card weekend game to the Houston Texans. And I'll explain to you guys what I mean. Last year, what was so crazy to me about Buffalo is not that they won games. They made the playoffs the year before. What hit me and what made me so confused was that Buffalo was winning games and their offense was putting up a crazy amount of points, but their offensive line, despite being very talented, wasn't anything special. Their defense, besides being very talented with guys like Poyer and Micah Hyde and Tredavious White, probably one of the two or three best corners in the league, and Ed Oliver, Jerry Hughes, Matt Milano, like, their defense was kind of suspect. There was never really a game where their defense stepped up and won it for them, and they never really had to because the offense was that good. But in big games against Kansas City and Miami, who I think is obviously going to be very good, they're my pick to win the division. Can the defense, can the offensive line and can Josh Allen can those units all step up in order to make this Buffalo's Bills team to put them over the top can the Buffalo Bills get those contributions there's some young players on both sides of the ball I like from AJ Epinesa on the defensive line to Gabriel Davis a receiver I mentioned he is a guy who's a natural playmaker I do love the job that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done since they've gotten to Buffalo and I'm telling you the Bills are going to be my first wild card in the AFC. I'm predicting them to finish 11-6. and six. There were many times last year when I watched these Buffalo Bills and I said, wow, these guys are one of the better teams in the NFL. They're a legit threat to make a deep run really soon. And they paid their quarterback, deservedly so. He's gotten so much better since he's gotten to the league. It really just shows you once again how important developing and caring about uh, your quarterback is. I love everything that Buffalo has done in terms of the development of Josh Allen. And um, right now the Bills win total is over under 11. I think they hit that right on the dot. I have them uh, going 11 and 6. Sean McDermott has obviously been able to win uh, double-digit games over the last couple years since he got to Buffalo. I just think that key for the Bills is finding the balance. I do think Josh Allen was not a fluke. He's going to be one of the six to seven best quarterbacks in the NFL next year. Obviously, you have Stephon Diggs playing some great football. Here's another thing for Buffalo that I didn't even mention. They need to find a way to run the ball. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, they bring in Matt Breida. Like, these aren't bad players. But last year, Buffalo could not run the football at all. They were literally having Josh Allen drop back 50 times a game. I think if they want to win the Super Bowl, that's obviously another very important factor to this Buffalo Bills team. They need to find a way to run the ball better. Because if you just have a non-existent running game, ask the Pittsburgh Steelers, your season won't end well. Buffalo is my second place team in the AFC East with a record of 11 and 6. Coming in third place with a record of 9 and 8, one of the more fascinating teams to watch in the NFL this upcoming season is Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots once again have them finishing with a record of 9 and 8. And I will say this. 
I do think the New England Patriots made the right decision going with Mac Jones as their week one starting quarterback over Cam Newton. And I'll explain to you guys why. Last year, when I watched Cam Newton after he got COVID, and I'm, I, I think that's just an excuse, right? There are plenty of players across the NFL that were able to get the coronavirus last year and just step up right away. I understand everyone's body just responds differently to the virus, and maybe that had some kind of, kind of an effect for Cam Newton. But the bottom line is this. I just don't think Cam Newton was good at football anymore. This is a guy that when he came into the league, he was known for running, and he did a great job of that. He is probably the best running quarterback I have ever seen in all of my years of watching NFL football. However, after just playing for a handful of years and having two very serious shoulder injuries, I think Cam's body just gave up on him. And we saw last year, many times, I remember just watching the Patriots and asking myself, like, is Cam Newton an NFL quarterback anymore? Because I'm really not sure that he is. And Bill Belichick and the Patriots last year were desperate, right? They figured out quickly that after letting Tom Brady go, neither Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer was going to be the answer at starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. And then... This year, they decided to bring Cam Newton back. I've always thought that Bill Belichick has had this weird fascination with Cam Newton. I think a couple years ago, Tom Brady's last year in New England, you guys remember that that uh, Sunday night football game against the Ravens when Lamar Jackson just ran all over New England? I think since that game, Bill Belichick has always been fascinated by that running quarterback, and he's always wanted that mobile quarterback for him uh, in his offense to have. And he brought Cam Newton back this year, and I thought that with him doing that, that just meant that Cam Newton was going to be the starter. But I think the reason that didn't happen was because Matt Jones didn't give Bill Belichick a choice. I think Matt Jones was just that much better than Cam Newton at camp, and he really was able to learn the offense and uh, was able to prove that he could lead this team very well. And I was really impressed with uh, Matt Jones, how he looked in the preseason. And I do think he just took this job from Cam Newton. He was just clearly the better option for this New England Patriot team. And it's a big season for New England. Bill Belichick is clearly going to want to show the rest of the league after Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl in his first year uh, out of Tampa. He's going to want to show, or out of New England, I should say, Bill Belichick is going to want to show that he was the primary reason the Patriots were trying to bring home all those rings. It's an ego thing. He's going to want to win big this year. The Patriots also had the most opt-outs in the league uh, due to COVID. They'll be back. My other concern with the Patriots, though, is this. I understand they spent a lot of money in free agency, and that's another big key as to why a lot of people, in some instances, are high on New England this season. But here's my question. Even though they spent all that money on free agency— How much better are they? Like, the Patriots' weapons were awful last year, I get it. But how much better does Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and Hunter Henry, who has a hard time staying healthy, make you? Jonu Smith, like, these are fine players, but I just don't know if they're dynamic impact players that are going to be able to make all the difference in the world for this New England Patriot team. I see some talent here. I trust Bill Belichick as a head coach, but at the same time, why did he bring Cam Newton back in the first place? 
I think it's because Belichick wanted him deep down to be the starter, but once again saw that Mac was just too good uh, not to give the job to week one. But it's interesting for Bill Belichick. He's the greatest coach I've ever seen, and at the same time, he has a losing record in his career without Tom Brady. I'm just giving you a fact. I want to see him prove to us that without Tom Brady, he could win football games consistently. I think this roster is good, not great. I think New England's talent level is good, not great. They are going to finish 9-8 and eight and in the tough AFC just finish a game back of that last playoff spot. I have New England at 9-8. and eight. I think they'll have a winning season but fall just short just because even though I think their team got better, I just don't know how much better they got. I do think going with Mac is the right move. Uh, the rookie quarterback, I think, will be a player. Finishing in last place in my AFC East predictions is going to be Robert Sala, uh, Zach Wilson, and the New York Jets. I'm going to predict the New York Jets to finish with a record of 6-11 and 11 in the AFC East. By the way, New England... Over-under win total, 9.5. I will go under that, and I will uh, pass on New England plus 350 to win the AFC East. The Jets, we look at them now. Their over-under win total for this season will be uh, will be 6, and I think they are going to hit that on the money. For the first time in a while, I do think the New York Jets are going in the right direction, and Jet fans do have some reason for optimism. I love the head coaching hire of Robert Sala. He is the total opposite of Adam Gaze, a guy that just has so much energy and a guy that I think players are ultimately going to want to play for. They bring in Zach Wilson, a quarterback that I think is really good. He has some really good natural arm talent and arm ability. The question is, is he going to be able to read defenses? Is he going to be able to step back in the pocket against an NFL pass rush and get the job done? Is he going to be able to signal and make the right throws and put his receivers in the right position to succeed? Those are the questions that we cannot answer with a quarterback before we've seen them play a game. But I've been really impressed with what Zach Wilson has looked like in preseason. And I think that the Jets have already given him a better chance to succeed with the parts around him than Sam Darnold. Uh, the Jets really didn't give Sam Darnold a real shot in New York, and it's a shame because I think Sam Darnold could be pretty good this season in Carolina as a result mainly of the weapons and the coaching around him. But the Jets giving uh, Sam Darnold Todd Bowles and Adam Gaze and no receivers and no offensive line, those were just recipes for disaster. And I think the Jets, over the last couple drafts, Joe Douglas has done a really good job of prioritizing the offensive line, bringing in Makai Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, signing uh, Morgan Moses this offseason. We also brought in, as you can see, we, I'm a Jet fan, sorry, it slipped. I try to be as unbiased as possible on this show. But uh, Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole, the drafting of Elijah Moore, who's going to be a big-time player, Corey Davis. The Jets' receiving depth is much better. Uh, obviously, the loss of Carl Lawson is just a killer. I think the Jets' defense could have actually been one of the more underrated units in the league. However, without Carl Lawson, the loss of Vinnie Curry, who was going to be a free agent addition from Philadelphia, this defense is just looking a little thin right now. And the AFC is really tough and really deep. So I'm going to predict the Jets to finish with a record of 6-11. and It's going to be a fascinating season to see what uh, Robert Sala and Zach Wilson bring to the table. But once again, for the first time in a while, I just feel optimistic and happy to be a Jet fan. I do think Joe Douglas knows what he's doing. I do think Joe Douglas is building this team in the right direction, which we haven't really been able to say about other past GMs. I mean, guys, I don't think we realize just how 
bad Mike McCagnan was and just how far back he really set this New York Jet team with his drafting, whether it was Calvin Pryor or Christian Hackenberg. Like, this guy just didn't know how to draft and take advantage of his first-round picks. And Joe Douglas is trying to do the opposite. Obviously, Makai Becton, Zach Wilson in the first couple of years, I don't think it's a terrible start. So, to recap, AFC East, I will have Miami, the surprise pick to win the division with a record of 12-5. and five. I love Tua. I think Brian Flores is one of the five to six best coaches in the NFL. I think that defense is undervalued. They were able to provide turnovers and really at the most ideal time last year. I'm a big fan of that unit. Miami wins the division 12 and five. I'll go Buffalo in second at 11 and six. Uh, Love Josh Allen. Think he's going to only get better. The key is, can they get that consistent balance? I will have the New England Patriots in third, nine and eight. Uh, Have a winning season. Will be better than last year. I'm just not sure if it's enough to do any better than that. Jets, 6-11 in fourth place. I think there are going to be reasons for optimism for the Jets. That is my thoughts on the AFC East. Continuing on with our NFL divisional previews, the next division we will be going over is in the AFC, the North. And this AFC North is a super fascinating division because there were actually three teams in this division that ended up making the playoffs last year. The Pittsburgh Steelers were the team that won this division. They surprised a lot of people last year at this time. There weren't really a lot of people picking Pittsburgh to win the division, but Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, and the guys got off to an 11-0 start, and they took it from there. It's now time for my predictions and what I think is going to go down in this AFC North. I will start off with a team that I am predicting to win the division with a record of 12-5, and five, and that is actually going to be, yes, the Cleveland Browns. I am predicting the Cleveland Browns to win the AFC North with a record of 12-5 and five right now in Vegas. Their over-under win total is 10.5. I will go over that. They are plus 125 to win the division. Baltimore is slightly favored ahead of Cleveland at plus 105. I think Cleveland, you could make the argument that from a 1-53 to 53 perspective, they have the most talented roster in the NFL. I'll start off by saying this. I have been so impressed with the job Kevin Stefanski has done since he got to Cleveland. And it's only been one year. I totally understand that. He has one playoff win. He still has a lot to prove. But let's keep in mind, guys, this is the Cleveland Browns, a team that over the last 20 years before last season were not only bad, but the laughing stock of the NFL. They were terrible. They couldn't get out of their own way, whether it was going 0-16 for a season and releasing all of the beer, all of the quarterbacks that they've had and that have failed over the last couple of years. And it's crazy because Baker Mayfield in that one season under Freddie Kitchens was maybe looking like he was going to go down that road. But Cleveland said no. We see that Baker Mayfield, the quarterback that we took number one overall, was just in a terrible, terrible position to succeed. So what did they do? They got a new coach that is offensive-minded. They got a good offensive line. They've been developing that for the last couple of years. They draft Jedrick Wills from Alabama, bring in Jack Conklin, uh, the free agent from Tennessee, and they just continue to collect talent on the defensive side of the ball. Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward are two ballers that could impact the game. They also will get healthier 
this season on the defensive side of the ball by bringing back Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit, two kids from LSU that were not able to play last year. I think you could expect both those guys to make an immediate impact right away. And they will also be bringing in Jadeveon Clowney, who, look, he was a bust in Tennessee. I totally understand that. But I actually do think in this kind of defense, with the amount of talent around him, when all of the pressure is not necessarily on Clowney to step up and make the game-breaking play, I actually do think this could work. They also bring in John Johnson and Troy Hill, two members of the Rams secondary from last year, members of the best defense in football last year, and I think this Browns defense is loaded. And they know how to run the ball. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is one of the more dynamic duos in the NFL when it comes to running the ball. And they are doing it behind just an elite offensive line. My guy, Wyatt Teller, know that name, was one of the most improved players in the NFL last year. And he literally became one of the best offensive guards in football and a, a game changer. The one thing, if I'm Cleveland, that I want to monitor going into this season is the elephant in the room. It's Baker Mayfield and his future. If you saw earlier this offseason, Josh Allen, who was another quarterback drafted in that same 2018 draft class with Baker Mayfield, he got paid. He got a record-setting deal. Lamar Jackson, he is a guy that even though he hasn't gotten paid yet, a lot of people, including myself, are expecting Baltimore to ultimately deliver on a big-time contract for our guy Lamar. But then there's Baker Mayfield, who did, I will admit, a really good job last year. I think last year, he proved a lot of doubters wrong. However, I do think that last year, watching Cleveland, there were some flashes where I would see Baker, and I'm just like, wow, this guy is making all the throws, he's putting his team in a position to win, and he's just making some tough throws that not a lot of other quarterbacks in the league can make. This season, I want to see more of that, and it's going to be interesting to see where exactly Kevin Stefanski draws the line, because I think you could really make the argument that Cleveland is at their best when they're running the ball behind that great offensive line, when their defense is making plays, and when they really don't need their quarterback to sit there and deliver and bail their team out. Not a lot of other teams could say that, but... When you have Baker Mayfield and this team is winning, but it's not really because of him, it's because of everyone else and he's just not messing it up, where exactly do you make the decision to pay him? And I think for that reason, this contract situation with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland is so interesting. Right now, if you have a team around Baker Mayfield that doesn't have an elite offensive line and doesn't have really good weapons like Cleveland does and a really good defense and an elite coach, is Baker Mayfield going to be able to be worth that money long term? That is the one question I have. But to be honest, Cleveland may not have a choice. I don't really know where else they would go uh, at quarterback from here. I think this is such a big season for Baker Mayfield, and I do think he's going to deliver. I do think the Browns team around him is going to deliver. I will have Cleveland winning the AFC North with a record of 12 and 5. Coming in second, I will have this team as a wild card with a record of 11 and 6. That will be Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And I'll say this about Lamar Jackson. He is certainly not the perfect quarterback. He has his issues. He has not been able to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in a game yet, and I think we know why. He hasn't really shown us that ability on third and eight when your quarterback needs to sit in the pocket, avoid pressure, and make a big throw. Like, yes, he hasn't showed us he could do that yet. But at the same time, I don't understand why every time Lamar Jackson 
is brought up in conversation, we immediately just jump to right, uh, jump right to his weaknesses. This guy, in two plus years as an NFL starting quarterback, all he has done is win football games, and I respect that. I respect the Ravens coach John Harbaugh deciding to zig two years ago and build this offense around Lamar Jackson and the running game when the rest of the league was zagging and decided to build their offenses around the passing game and the explosive deep balls uh, downfield. That is not the Ravens, and I think they've done a really good job building their team uh, towards that offense and build, building their offense around that power run scheme. Ronnie Stanley should hopefully be back healthy and ready to go at left tackle. And they also made a really big effort to try to improve the rec- the weapons around Lamar Jackson. I remember I was really high on Baltimore going into the playoffs last year, and they really disappointed me in that Saturday night game against the Buffalo Bills. And I think Bills defensive coordinator, Wesley Frazier, did a really good job in that game, looking at Lamar Jackson straight in the eye and saying, you are not going to beat us throwing the football or running the football. You have to beat us throwing the football. If you want to beat us and if you want to score points, you're going to have to sit in the pocket and make all the throws. And ultimately, Lamar Jackson couldn't do that. The Bills defense did such a good job containing the run. And it was obvious to me while watching that game, the Ravens just didn't have enough offensive weapons to throw the ball to. Now, I don't necessarily know how much of an impact bringing in guys like Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman, the rookie out of Minnesota who was already banged up. I don't necessarily know how much of an impact that's going to make. But at the same time, I think the Ravens are a playoff team. They are a team that has won during the regular season over the last couple of years, and they deserve respect for that. There were some reports brought up earlier in the offseason uh, by some guys around the NFL GM circle that uh, many NFL GMs think that this is finally going to be the year teams are going to be able to figure out and stop Lamar Jackson. I don't buy it. He is the best running quarterback I've ever seen. Watch his highlights in that game uh, in the playoffs against the Tennessee Titans. I mean, that touchdown run that he had not only changed the game, but he literally had other defenders on an NFL playoff defense looking foolish. No one could touch him. And this guy's just a dynamic playmaker. He knows how to win games. The Ravens are such a well-run organization under uh, uh, Steve Bishotti, their owner. They know how to win games. I love the Baltimore Ravens. They will be my team to come in second place with a record of 11 and 6. My team in third place. This is going to be an eye-opener because I think that the 2021 season is going to be the first season under head coach Mike Tomlin that the Pittsburgh Steelers are actually going to finish with a losing record. Yes, I have the Steelers with a record of 8-9 and nine, finishing in third place in the AFC North. Right now, the Steelers plus 350 to win the division and their over-under win total is 8.5. I am going to take the under on the Steelers win total and I will tell you why. Last year, I think to start the season, the Pittsburgh Steelers maxed out. Ben Roethlisberger looked healthy. He looked good. He was ready to go playing behind a solid offensive line with good weapons and one of the best defenses in the NFL. And this year, they bring in a guy like Najee Harris from Alabama who is going to be an impact playmaker at running back. I have really liked everything 
that I have seen from this kid, uh, Pat Fryermuth, the tight end from Penn State, second round pick. I think he is going to be a really good player. He catches everything. If you throw that dude the ball anywhere near him, especially in the end zone, the tight end from Penn State, he is going to come down with it and make the play. However, the Steelers' offensive line right now is one of the worst units in the league. And I'm not even kidding when I say that. They lost a lot from last year's offensive line. And I totally understand. Guys like Marquise Pouncey and Al uh, Villanueva, David DeCastro, they certainly weren't ideal last year. When the Steelers collapsed and were losing all of their games late in the season, including that playoff game to Cleveland and uh, the Monday night game against Cincinnati, their offensive line could not block. And when you ha- didn't have a quarterback that could move, Ben Roethlisberger looked done those last four games of the season. I wouldn't be shocked if he starts off this season well. He is in pretty good shape. But the problem is, Ben, it's too late, bro. Where was this four or five years ago? That's my issue here. If Ben Roethlisberger wants to get in some great shape right now, that's fine. But I just don't know how much football he has left, especially playing behind this offensive line. I think the Steelers' defense is really good. But this T.J. Watt situation is concerning as well. You drafted T.J. Watt in the 20s. He was a late, late pick for, uh, late first round pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Steelers have done a really good job developing him into as good of a player as they could have expected or that they could have hoped. If you told the Pittsburgh Steelers on draft day that T.J. Watt would become the player he is right now, the Steelers would have signed that twice and maybe would have traded up to take him earlier if they had to. But why aren't you paying this guy? He is one of the only natural pass rushers in the league that has the ability to get to the quarterback with his eyes closed. It doesn't take much. He has that ability to just wreck a football game, and he is so important to the Steeler defense. When you combine him with Cam Hayward and Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary, the Steelers are usually a very well-run team, but over the past couple of seasons, they've made some head-scratching decisions that haven't been major like they haven't killed the franchise in any way but I do think when you look at what this team's ultimate goal is to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl especially after all of the past seasons with heavy expectations that they haven't been able to deliver on I do think Mike Tomlin is an overrated coach. I really do believe that. There have just been way too many games over the past couple years that the Steelers should have won, and quite frankly, just didn't come ready to play. And when I look at this roster and some of their weaknesses, especially on the offensive line and maybe at quarterback, I just don't trust Mike Tomlin as a coach that's going to be able to get this team over the hump. I know that he hangs his hat high on the fact that he has never had a losing season as head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But considering the talent on his team and considering the quarterback he's had, like, yes, that's impressive. But after a while, how long could you really use it when you haven't been winning playoff games? And when you're the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, having a winning record is great. But after a while, you can only do that so many times if you're not going to win in the playoffs before the fans ultimately get a little tired of you. And Mike Tomlin did a good job for the first 10, 11 games of the season last year. I think the year prior to that, When Ben Roethlisberger got hurt and Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges became the Steelers starting quarterback, that was a good season for Mike Tomlin. Up to the fact that they lost their final three games, they were all favored in, and that's what cost them a playoff spot. 
if that if I'm a Steeler fan, there's just been a lot of inconsistency over the past couple of years. And really, I expect that to continue. I have the Steelers missing the playoffs, finishing third in the AFC North with a record of eight and nine. And finally, the team I have finishing in fourth place in this AFC North with a record of four and 13 is the Cincinnati Bengals. I will admit, I am not too high on the Cincinnati Bengal team right now. And it starts off with their head coach. Zach Taylor hasn't really shown me anything over the last couple of years to make me believe in this Bengal team, right? There, were, there have been plenty of teams since Zach Taylor has taken over head coach of the Bengals that didn't necessarily have the best talent in the world, but still were out here finding ways to win. Like I saw Brian Flores lead a Miami Dolphin team that early in the season we thought was tanking for Tua and could have been one of the worst teams in NFL history. I just thought Brian Flores was in such an impossible spot to begin with. And now two years later, he has this he has his team knocking on the door of the playoffs. He led uh, his team into New England with Ryan Fitzpatrick beating Tom Brady in his final regular season home game in Foxborough. And I'm not expecting the Bengals to do that. But I just want to see this team win some games they aren't necessarily expected to win, and they haven't really done that. And the Jamar Chase uh, chatter during the preseason, it's concerning. This dude can't catch a pass, and he is a top-five pick. And not to mention, you drafted this guy over Panay Sewell, who I admit hasn't really been looking great so far in camp for Detroit. But at the same time, your offensive line is super super sketchy right now and your quarterback just tore his ACL last season and it's a miracle quite honestly that he's back and should be ready to go but if you're the Cincinnati Bengals you were a team that spent a lot of money in the offseason and I understand you bringing guys like Xavier Suofilo and Riley Reef on the offensive line and you're hoping that can help things but I just don't think it is when you really could have had a guy like Panay Sewell, uh, just a, a really good athlete and a guy that a lot of people are projecting to be one of the better offensive linemen in the NFL next year. I didn't love that pick by Cincinnati. They do get Jonah Williams back, the tackle they took a couple years ago from Alabama who got hurt last year. Hopefully that will make an impact. But at the same time, I just think this Bengals offensive line is so bad, it won't really matter. And I'm worried for Joe Burrow. Uh, and I just don't trust Zach Taylor as a head coach. Now, the Bengals did spend some money on defense, bringing in guys like Chidoba Awujier, bringing in uh, a guy like Trey Hendrickson and um, Larry Ogunjobi uh, from New Orleans and Cleveland, respectively. But they had Carl Lawson, one of the better pass rushers in the league last year, one of the better pass rushers who was on the market, who ended up going to the Jets. Unfortunately, he got hurt. But it's going to be interesting to see what does that money do? Does signing a guy like Trey Hendrickson or Ogunjobi, does that make a legitimate difference for the Cincinnati Bengals team? And can those moves on defense be good enough to elevate uh, that team to win some games? To be honest, I don't think so. This division is tough. I have the Bengals finishing last place in the AFC North with a record of 4-13. and And I do think there is going to be a very good chance that Zach Taylor gets fired after this season. I believe in Joe Burrow. I think he could be a good NFL starting quarterback. He showed me some good signs last year. I think he'll put up decent numbers. He has some good weapons thrown to Boyd and T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, even Auden Tate is a receiver I like. But at the same time, I just don't see how this team is going to win football games the way it is currently constructed. Um, I have the Bengals finishing in last with a record of 4-13. in 13. So to recap, my AFC North standings, Cleveland, my first place team with a record of 12-5. and five. 
Baltimore, second place, 11 and 6. Pittsburgh in third, 8 and 9. Bengals, fourth, 4 and 13. And to recap the AFC, my seven playoff teams Kansas City is the one seed, 14 and 3. Cleveland, 12 and 5. AFC North champions is my two seed. The Miami Dolphins, surprise team, will be my three seed at 12 and 5. Colts, four seed, AFC South champs, 10 and 7. And then my three wild cards Buffalo, five seed at 11 and 6. Baltimore, six seed. Also at 11 and 6, and the Los Angeles Chargers, my seventh seed, with a record of 10 and 7. Those are my seven playoff teams in the AFC. Let's move on to the NFC. Ladies and gentlemen, let's continue with our previews for each and every NFL division during the Zach Curl Sports Podcast preview pod. And the next division we will be going over as we jump to the NFC is the NFC West. And I think what makes the NFC West so good, and I would consider this to be the best division in all of football, is that I think you can make an argument for legitimately any one of the four teams in this division to win it. The Rams, playoff team last year. Seahawks won the division last year. 49ers returned a majority of the core that two years ago actually was able to get this team to a Super Bowl and one or two plays away from actually winning that Super Bowl. And then the Arizona Cardinals, who last year got off to just a phenomenal start. They faltered down the stretch and they have a very dynamic young quarterback in Kyler Murray that we all know can make plays. So I think that's what makes this NFC West so interesting and what also makes it the best division in football. You could literally make a case for any one of the four teams in this division to win it. And the team that I am going to be predicting to win the NFC West with a record of 12 and 5 is the Los Angeles Rams. And this was super tough for me. I think that there are many teams in this division. Once again, you could make a case to win it, but I'm picking the Rams. And I'll start off by saying this. Sean McVay is someone that is not appreciated enough. The fact that he has came into the NFL and after four years, you guys remember what the Rams looked like when Jeff Fisher was their head coach and Jared Goff was their starting quarterback for that one year? They just looked like the most boring, the most blah team in the NFL. And they bring in Sean McVay, who instantly in his first year leads the Rams to an NFC West title and is the new next big thing in terms of coaching in the NFL. And the rest of the NFL has really followed suit to everything that Sean McVay has been doing because how many guys have been hired across the league as head coaches who are quote unquote McVay guys between LaFleur and Zach Taylor. Uh, so many more have been running this Sean McVay style, fast paced tempo offense, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And all he has done has win since he's gotten to the NFL. Like he got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff as his starting quarterback. And last year, he went into Seattle in a road playoff game with a combination of an injured Jared Goff and John Wofford and won that playoff game. And I think last year in the the game against Green Bay Lambeau Field in the playoffs, which the Rams lost, it finally hit Sean McVay. I need a better quarterback. No matter how good of a coach that I am, if I want to go up and defeat guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in a road playoff game, I have to improve at the quarterback position because I give 
Sean McVay, Wes Snead, their GM, and the Rams a lot of credit. They got Matthew Stafford. And I totally understand. Matthew Stafford didn't have the perfect career in Detroit. For a player that is as talented as he is, the fact that he didn't even win a playoff game in Detroit is super disappointing. But at the same time, Detroit is literally football purgatory. I consider the Lions to be the biggest laughingstock organization in the NFL. That is a place where football careers usually go to die. Just as Barry Sanders or Calvin Johnson or Matthew Stafford, legends and really good players like that, where in Detroit, they just could not get the job done and their team couldn't win games. I consider Matthew Stafford going from a place like Detroit, which is once again, football purgatory, literally the worst possible position for a starting quarterback to go to, to Los Angeles, where Sean McVay had Jared Goff. And look, we'll get to the Lions in a little bit. I think Jared Goff is an okay quarterback. I think sometimes he gets a little too much hate. People treat him like Mitch Trubisky or Nathan Peterman. Like, he's not that. But he is not good unless you give him literally everything. A good running game, a good offensive line, good receivers, and an elite coach like Sean McVay. I think you're giving that all... Now to Matthew Stafford, and that is going to translate in some victories. And I do think the Rams are my pick to win the NFC West. I'm a big fan of this defense as well. Not many other defenses in the league have two players like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey that could change and impact and wreck a game as much as they can. And I think their star power will continue. Jordan Fuller is one of the more underrated players in the NFL. Safety former Ohio State Buckeye in a short time in the league. He has already been named a captain. He is one of their starting safeties. I think he's a big-time player. I'm also a huge fan of uh, guys like Ashawn Robinson and Leonard Floyd, guys they brought in looking to improve the defense. And the Rams have gotten a lot of slack over the last couple of years, right, as a team that is going all in. Sean McVay traded draft picks for Jalen Ramsey, and he traded a first-round draft pick for Matthew Stafford. The Rams do not have many draft picks coming up over the next couple of years. They really do believe that having an impact player on their roster is more valuable than a first round pick. And I don't necessarily blame them. The thing is, you just have to take advantage of that window. And Sean McVay said, I wouldn't be able to do that with uh, Jared Goff as my starting quarterback. So I'll just go get uh, Matthew Stafford. The other thing I'll say about the Rams is I do think the Cam Akers injury hurts. I think this was a guy who... I consider to be a breakout candidate, to be one of the best running backs in the NFL. Every time Sean McVay and the Rams have had a winning successful season, they've been able to run the ball. They bring in Sony Michelle in a trade from the New England Patriots to go along with Daryl Henderson and rookie Jake Funk in that backfield. So we'll see if that's enough. I think the lack of Cam Akers could be a concern for the Rams, but I do think Michelle or Daryl Henderson is good enough to at least pick up somewhat of the slack. I really like Matthew Stafford. Right now, the Rams in Vegas, their over-under is 10.5. I will predict them to go over that number to win the division. They are actually a slight underdog. The Niners have leaped the Rams as the favorite to win the NFC West. Right now, the Niners plus 155, the Rams plus 175. Speaking of the Niners, let's get right into them as they are my pick to finish second place in the NFC West with a record of 11 and 6. And I'll start off by saying this. I understand that a lot of people don't like Kyle Shanahan due to his poor play calling in past Super Bowls. That's nonsense. 
Because in Atlanta, we've seen what the Falcons have been like since he's left. They haven't been good, and Dan Quinn wasn't really able to win any football games without Kyle Shanahan, and we know what happened to that offense. It has really regressed. We also look at that Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that game was just a result of Patrick Mahomes being the best player on the planet, and quite frankly, there was nothing Kyle Shanahan and company could have done about it. And over the past couple regular seasons, what this guy has been able to do has been phenomenal. Last year, the 49ers were the most injured team in the NFL, and they had the most COVID outbreaks in the NFL. You guys remember that Thursday night game against the Green Bay Packers that probably, to be honest with you, shouldn't even have been played, and all of a sudden, you turn around, the Packers are just dropping dime after dime after dime, Aaron Rodgers was, and blowing out the 49ers. They literally didn't have any players in that game, and then still, they rebound after getting kicked out of the county of Santa Clara. They got kicked out because of COVID policies. These 49ers couldn't even live in their own house. They had to play in Arizona, and they still were able to pull off some big-time victories to end their season, including ruining their division rivals, uh, Arizona Cardinals playoff chances in a game where C.J. Beathard beat Kyler Murray straight up in Arizona. That is all Kyle Shanahan right there. And I think for the most part, he did a really good job last year. I look at the talent on this team. They're going to go with the two-quarterback set. It's looking like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be that primary uh, number one starter with Trey Lance uh, backing him up, but he will get some reps throughout the game. And I think this works because when it comes to Trey Lance, I'll say this. I think there's a really good chance that when it's all said and done, Trey Lance is the best quarterback in this class. And a lot of it just has to do with situation. I totally understand Trey Lance is very raw. He has only played one real uh, college football game in the last two years. And if you're a 49er fan, I totally get that as a slight concern. But at the same time, if you walk into 49ers practice these days and you just compare Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance and their size and their arm and their real uh, physical attributes, it would be pretty clear that Trey Lance is the better player. But Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy who is so experienced in this offense, he knows how to win football games as long as he is healthy. So Kyle Shanahan decided to give Jimmy G the job. Trey Lance probably just wasn't 100% ready at this point. Fine. But I will say, I do think if the 49ers want to win a Super Bowl, and maybe if they want to win this NFC West, and I think they have a very good chance to do that, having Trey Lance under center might just be the best way to go by week seven or week eight. During that time, if even if Jimmy Garoppolo is winning games and Trey Lance in practice is showing you that he just has more and more control of the offense and he, that he could look like a big-time player, I would have no problem with uh, Kyle Shanahan pulling the plug from Jimmy G and going with Trey. I think at this point in Jimmy G's career, we know what he is. I think he's a guy that when he is put in the proper situation, he could be a decent quarterback. But at the same time, he is not a guy I look at especially with the injury history and concerns that I'll just say, okay, I think he could put the team on his back and the team could win a game because of his performance. He needs to show me a little bit more uh, if he wants to be taken that seriously as like an elite NFL quarterback. And I think the 49ers drafted Trey Lance for a reason. Uh, I'm really high on him. I think he's going to be a really good player. A couple names on the 49ers defense I wanted to throw at you. One uh, concern for this team 
is the loss of now uh, Jets head coach Robert Sala, one of the better defensive coordinators in the league. They will be elevating D'Amico Ryans, their linebacker coach, to now run this unit. And I will say, I think that's a good hire. I think D'Amico Ryans is going to have this defense playing at a very high level, and personnel has a lot to do with it. Nick Bosa obviously got hurt last year, one of the better uh, natural pass rushers in the league. I think him being back and ready to go for this 49er team will be a big-time difference. Uh, him getting to the quarterback. I'll give you another name as a possible breakout player on the defensive line. Former first-round pick out of the University of South Carolina, Javon Kinlaw. I'm a huge fan of his. He could get to the quarterback, and I think him and Bosa will be just a deadly combination. Fred Warner is one of the better linebackers in the league. I just love this team. I love their offense. I love their defense. I have them finishing one game behind of the Rams, but the 49ers have actually played the Rams really well over the past couple of years. Jared Goff has struggled against this 49er defense. I'll be curious to see when these two teams meet up, what Matthew Stafford uh, plans on doing against such a, a good unit, and if him at quarterback will be a difference. So San Francisco, they're over under right now in Vegas. Stands at uh, 10.5. I will take the over there. I have them winning uh, 11 games. And to win the division, they are plus 155. Just slight favorites over the Rams. Now, the team that I'm going to predict to come in third place. But before you freak out, Seahawks fans... I do have your team finishing with a winning record. 10-7 and seven will be my pick for Seattle. And I will admit, the, Seattle has been a team that I've gone back and forth on throughout this offseason. Because I saw everything that happened last year. And I'll admit, I think Seattle, you can make the argument last year, was actually one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL. Russell Wilson, we all know how talented of a quarterback he is. And one thing I can't deny is... Ever since Pete Carroll has gone to Seattle, like the Seahawks have been able to win games. So they deserve credit for that. That is a great head coach combination. But the fact was, their defense was terrible for the first 10, 11 weeks of last year. And once they got Carlos Dunlap, they actually did a much better job stepping up, winning some games, had an easy schedule. But they were actually winning because of that defense. They weren't winning because of Russell Wilson. And the one time in that playoff game against the Rams where Seattle need Russ, needed Russell to step up and make a play the most, he just was not able to get the job done. And that is super uh, concerning. Uh, obviously, you combine that with all the trade speculations that uh, went on during the offseason. Russell Wilson informally requesting a trade, saying... I want to be a Seahawk for life, but if I do get traded, these are the teams I want to go to, da-da-da. That was just stupid. I, I don't think Russell Wilson was ever seriously considering uh, asking for a trade, but at the same time, I do think the Seahawks need to do a, a better job around him. Like, I, Pete Carroll's a great coach, but there are many times where I'm out here watching this team and saying, like, wow, they just need to be much more modern on the offensive side of the ball. They need to get DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett more involved. I look at this team. Their offensive line is much better. They bring in uh, Gabe Jackson from the Las Vegas Raiders. I think that's going to be a huge help. I think their defense should hopefully keep on getting better. I like Benson Mayoa as a young pass rusher. They also obviously bring back Jamal Adams, all the contract disputes that went on over the offseason. Seattle also had some issues with Dwayne Brown and his contract extension situation. They got both of those guys locked up. I like Seattle as a team that is a playoff team. I think they'll win a lot of games. I have them at 10 and 7. 
I just don't love their coaching, although it's very good, as much as the Rams and the 49ers. And I think the Rams and the 49ers have just much more complete rosters. At the same time, though, I do think Seattle is going to be a legitimate factor playing in a tough NFC West. I will have them finishing with a record of 10 and 7. Finally, the team that I have coming in last place in the NFC West, and this is actually going to be one of my more disappointing teams in the NFL this season, it is the Arizona Cardinals. And right now, the Cardinals' over-under win total is 8.5. I will take the under there. They are plus 500 to win the NFC West. And it's funny because last year at this time, I was actually the opposite on the Arizona Cardinals. I predicted Arizona to be a playoff team last season, and I was really high on Kyler Murray, and I still am. The problem is, I'm just not a Cliff Kingsbury guy, and I don't love this team's offseason. Cliff Kingsbury has been a guy who, since he's been a, a head football coach, he hasn't really been able to win games Like He had Patrick Mahomes as his starting quarterback at Texas Tech and was putting together like consistent 6-6, 5-7 seasons. I get you're a good offensive mind that's very creative, and I actually think in Cliff's first year in Arizona, he was actually pretty solid. He did a a good job, much better than I could have ever expected, but last year, that changed. There were many times where I would watch Arizona Cardinal games, and whether it was the play calling, whether it was just the clock management, I would be asking myself, What is this guy doing? Does he have any idea how to manage a clock? And when you combine that with Arizona, their team is good. But let me say something about Kyler Murray. He's a very talented quarterback. He has all the natural ability in the world. He is a running quarterback that can make plays. But I'll admit, whether he was hurt or not, he regressed last year. And he was on the field for those last six games. And the Arizona Cardinals really just fell apart. Look at Arizona's schedule last year. They needed one more win to get into the playoffs, but got beat out by the Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy-led Chicago Bears. Arizona lost the game to Detroit at home last year. Arizona lost a game against Carolina where they didn't show up. They gave up 31 points to Teddy Bridgewater. Then the last two weeks of the season, they're out here losing games to C.J. Beathard and John Wofford. Back-to-back games that could have gotten you in the playoffs and you could not get the job done. The Cardinals fell apart last season. It was an absolute disaster. I don't trust their head coach. And I don't love their offseason. Bringing in guys like J.J. Watt and A.J. Green. Not only did they bring in those guys, but they overpaid for them. They gave them so much money where they had no choice really but to go to Arizona. And from an on-the-field perspective, to be honest with you guys, I'm just not really sure how big of an impact those guys are going to make. Isaiah Simmons had a disappointing rookie season. You hope that he could get better. Um, I'm just not too high on this Arizona Cardinal team right now. I think their offensive line is not great. They did bring in Rodney Hudson from the Raiders. Solid move. But I don't know if he's going to be able to make um, the just that big of an impact by himself. I look at this defense. Yeah, they have Chandler Jones. Yeah, they have Buda Baker. But I don't look at this defense as a unit that is top 10 or top 12. They're just uh, an average unit to me. Once Chandler Jones got hurt last year, they really declined. And obviously you get why, but I just think at this point in his career, I don't know what Chandler Jones is. I don't know if you can necessarily count on him to be an elite pass rusher for a really good team. You combine Cliff Kingsbury, the terrible offseason, and the tough NFC West 
combined with a quarterback who I think has a lot to prove. As much as I love Kyler Murray and his physical ability, he really regressed last year in those last six games. Whether he was injured or not, he was on the field. I expected him to play better, and I think he does have a lot to prove this year. Arizona is the one team in the NFC West I'm not particularly high on. I have them finishing with a record of 6-11. and 11. So, to round out my predictions in the NFC West, I will have three playoff teams from this division making it. I will have the Rams winning the division with a record of 12-5. and five. I will have the um, Niners finishing in second as a wild card with a record of 11-6. and six. I'll give Seattle a playoff spot. Second wild card with a record of 10-7. and seven. And then the Arizona Cardinals I have finishing in fourth with a record of 6 and 11. That is the NFC West. Continuing with our NFC divisional previews, let's go to the NFC South as they have the team that ended up hoisting the Lombardi Trophy last year. Yes, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go into the season with some lofty expectations after Tom Brady goes there last year and wins uh, the Super Bowl in his first year with Tampa Bay. And before we dive deep into Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, everything that is going on for them this season, I wanted to give a shout out to Tom Brady because last year at this time, I knew that him going to Tampa Bay was a good move for the future of his career. I did think that in New England, you could have easily made the argument that Bill Belichick, the GM, failed Tom Brady his last couple of years. The weapons that Brady had in New England were not good enough. And he decided to go to the team with not only great weapons, but a really good offensive line, a really good defense, and a good coach. And when you combine that with how smart and how elite of a football mind and how great of a worker Tom Brady is and how badly he wants to win uh, Tampa Bay, Got the job done. They they made their dreams come true, and they just deserve so much credit for that. Jason Light, their general manager, uh, deserves an awesome job the way he's put this team together. And I do think that Tampa Bay, they are appropriately the pretty significant favorite going into this season to win the NFC South. Right now, their over-under win total is 11.5, minus 300 to win the uh, NFC South. And I will pick Tampa Bay to win this division with a record of 13 and 4. The Buccaneers, the first team in the Super Bowl era to win a championship and bring back every single starter from that team a season ago. And if you're a Buccaneer fan, you have all the right in the world to be super excited about this team. The coordinators for this squad, really good. Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles both come back. It is very rare that you see a team win the Super Bowl and not only bring back every single starter, but also both coordinators. We know that Todd Bowles has been a head coach in this league before. Unfortunately for him, it didn't really work out with the New York Jets. Byron Leftwich, I think, is a guy that is going to be a head coach in this league sooner rather than later. I think he did a really good job uh, with the creativity of the offensive play calling towards the back end of last year. And the crazy thing about Tampa Bay is this, right? Last year, you watch them throughout the season, especially throughout like the first 11 or 12 games, and they didn't really look like they were on the same page. And I just remember saying to myself, like, wow, it's really late in this season, and the Buccaneers' chemistry just isn't there. I was not really confident that Bruce Arians was going to be able to get the job done with this team. But when you combine 
how great their defense was during the playoffs. You guys remember that classic divisional playoff game against the Saints. I think that game really changed in Tampa Bay's favor when linebacker Devin White forced that fumble on Jared Cook. Antoine Winfield picks it up, and the rest is history. Since that play happened, the Bucks just took advantage of that game and ran away with it. I think you could legitimately make the argument if Antoine Winfield and Devin White, if they don't make that play, then the Saints easily could have won that game and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl run doesn't happen. The other name I wanted to bring up on Tampa Bay, who wasn't even on their team last year. This is a guy that they drafted with actually the last pick in the first round this year, pass rusher from the University of Washington, Joe Tryon. Now, Tryon, he actually didn't play in the COVID-shortened uh, uh, college football season last year. He was at Washington. The Pac-12 obviously only played uh, five or six games each team did. So he just thought, okay, I'm just going to showcase my talents and get ready for the draft. And he has been making some noise in the preseason throughout camp. I think he could be a guy that is a big-time uh, defensive player for this Tampa Bay Buccaneer team. And when you look at this roster, like, Vita Vea, that was the guy that came back last year right before the playoff run, one of the better run stoppers in the league. And right away, he was able to make a significant impact. Jason Pierre-Paul was playing some really good football, getting to the quarterback. Sue, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, like, they just have some weapons on this team. Plus, you combine the young secondary full of some really good and improving players. I think Sean Murphy bunting the corner was a guy who was key in that Tampa Bay Buccaneer uh, playoff run last year, Antoine Winfield, Jordan Whitehead, unfortunately, he's going to miss uh, the week one game against Dallas. But the Buccaneers are just a super deep team. And as the defending Super Bowl champions, they absolutely deserve to be one of the favorites. Uh, and on top of the NFC going into this season, Tampa Bay will be my pick to win the NFC South. Coming in second place, and I'm actually going to predict this team to make the playoffs. Yes, as a wild card with a record of 10-7, and seven, my surprise team in the NFC this season is Matt Rule, Sam Darnold, and the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are going to be my pick to finish in second place in the NFC South with a record of 10-6. and six. And right now, Carolina, their over-under number is... Seven and a half. I think they go over. That's one of my better bets uh, for the season. Carolina right now to win the division plus 950. Not ideal odds there. I don't think, or good odds. I don't think it's going to happen. But um, Carolina, they're a team that I think over the past two seasons, they have done a really good job building this roster. I remember when they hired Matt Rule during his first draft last year, they literally drafted every pick they used defense. They spent every single draft pick they had on defense from Jeremy Chin, from Derek Brown, Brian Burns. There are some really good young defensive players on this team. Yitor Grossmatos. They drafted J.C. Horn, the corner from South Carolina this year. I think Carolina's defense is actually a pretty solid unit and it's, it's going to be decent. I think Jeremy Chin is a big time player. That's someone to look out for. But the reason why I'm optimistic on this Carolina Panther team is they brought in Sam Darnold. And look, I don't think Sam Darnold is some elite quarterback. He was bad under center for the New York Jets. But I spoke about it when we went over the Jets earlier in the show. 
I think that he just had a terrible situation in New York. No weapons, no offensive line, no real coach. And now Sam Darnold has a real opportunity playing around Christian McCaffrey, one of the best running backs in the league. Hopefully he will be healthy and ready to go to start this season. Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. These are really good playmakers and an offensive line that isn't ideal, but they brought in Pat Elfline. Taylor Moten is one of the better right tackles in the league. I think their offensive line could be decent and could help protect Sam Darnold. But the main factor I wanted to talk about with Carolina is coaching. I think Matt Rule actually did a really good job with this team last year. Carolina lost the most one-possession games in the NFL last year, and obviously that sucks if you want to win games. That is a trend that can continue. But considering who the Carolina Panthers were last year, a team that, quite frankly, was rebuilding, first-year head coach, had a lot of young players on defense, didn't have any real expectations, I think they did a good job losing games that... In two or three years, maybe this year, they'll learn from those, and at least the games were competitive. Like, you you remember that game they had against the Kansas City Chiefs when they were a field goal away, albeit a 65-yard field goal away, from actually winning that game? They went into Lambeau Field on a Saturday night and almost beat the Green Bay Packers with Teddy Bridgewater throwing no pass longer than, like, six to seven yards for the entirety of the game. I think with a quarterback that is just naturally more talented than that in Sam Darnold, they could actually be decent and he can make plays. The other guy I love on this Carolina Panther team that I think will be an NFL head coach in this league sooner rather than later is Joe Brady. In college football, LSU just suffered a terrible loss to UCLA and it had a lot of people saying, Ed Orgeron, what's the deal with this guy? Was he the main reason why LSU and Joe Burrow and those guys were able to win the national championship that year? Even though he's a great coach and a great motivator, no. The main guy responsible for that championship on the coaching staff is Joe Brady, a guy who just knows quarterbacks. And the work that he was able to do with Joe Burrow during last season or two seasons ago at LSU was phenomenal. Last year, he works with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy was as okay. Like, we know what Teddy Bridgewater is at this point in his career. And I think you put Joe Brady with a guy like Sam Darnold, a quarterback who had negative coaching. He coached with Adam Gaze with the New York Jets. I think Joe Brady runs Adam Gaze out of the building in terms of coaching ability, and I do think he will have Sam Darnold in a good position to succeed this year with Carolina. I love Joe Brady as an offensive line, I, uh, as an offensive mind. I really like Matt Rule as a head coach, and Matt Rule had NFL experience. Unlike Urban Meyer, who I mentioned as a coach from college who came into the league and really struggled, and I think is and has really been struggling so far during camp, and a guy that I think could have. Uh, his struggles this season communicating with players at the NFL level. I look at Joe Brady. He's actually a guy that has NFL experience prior to his tenure at LSU as he was with the New Orleans Saints. He has experience playing these teams in these divisions. I like Carolina to be the surprise team in the NFC this year. I like them as a wild card. Finishing in third with a record of eight, uh, nine and eight in the NFC South for me is going to be, yes, the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints are a team that it's pretty interesting because they do lose a lot, right? This is going to be the first year in God knows how long since like 2005, 2006, that they're going to go into the season without Drew Brees as their starting quarterback. And I do like Jameis Winston. I do think that 
what not a lot of people realize about the New Orleans Saints and Jameis Winston right now is that with Jameis under center, your quarterback actually has a chance to elevate and push the ball downfield, which to be honest, over the last couple of years with Drew Brees under center, I think that's really held the, the Saints back. Like in that playoff game against Tampa Bay, in the playoff game that they lost to uh, Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, they couldn't push the ball downfield. And I think Jameis Winston does give you that really good ability. Alvin Kamara, one of the better offensive lines in the league. However, this is a Saint team that loses a lot. And I just think the Michael Thomas injury, and when you combine that with everything that was going on around it, obviously we saw that Sean Payton, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, wasn't too thrilled about the way and the timing of Michael Thomas's surgery. I think that actually is some cause for concern for the Saints here. I think it's a year in transition. I think they'll have their good moments. They'll have their bad moments. I fin- I have them finishing at 9-8. and eight. Um, Their defense is still really good. They have some names on that defense being led by, of course, uh, Cameron Jordan. Obviously, Lattimore is banged up. I think that's going to be a huge loss. They actually excuse me, just decided to, to make a move today, bringing in cornerback uh, Bradley Roby. It's looking like he's going to fill Lattimore's spot. They have Ken Crawley. They have Desmond Trufant. I really don't like the way this New Orleans Saints defense is looking right now, to be honest with you. They have some older guys like Demario Davis and Kawan Alexander. Davis is a really good player. He could play, obviously. But at this point in his career, um, I don't know if he if he's a guy that could just lead the Saints defense, put the defense on his back. And I just don't know if this Saints defense in general is going to be able to win games for New Orleans. Jameis is good, but he's erratic. I think he'll be up and down. I think we'll have some really good moments. I think he will still have some bad moments. And I just don't love the weapons that he has. Marquez Callaway, good young receiver. But this guy's your number one receiver, Traquan Smith. Will Jordan Humphrey, Deontay Harris, like all fine players with a lot of potential, but they just haven't really proved anything yet. And when it comes to Sean Payton, I'll say this. I think he's one of the five best coaches I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like what he's done with the Saints since he's gotten there has been super impressive. And I'm really not trying to sound like a hater. I just think if you look deeper and deeper into the Saints and the games they've lost over the last couple of years, especially since that Super Bowl championship, I actually think that you could make an argument Sean Payton is a little bit of an overrated coach. There, in, in a similar way to Mike Tomlin, there have been many games throughout the last couple years where the Saints should have gone in expecting to win and rolled. They were just significantly the better team and lost. Everyone talks about that NFC Championship game against the Rams, and I totally understand. The refs did not help out the New Orleans Saints cause at all in that game. But I'm not going to lie. That year... When I watched that Saint team play, they looked like, to me, a team that could win the Super Bowl and a team that could have easily been the best team in football. But what was the problem? If you are a great team, you still find a way to win that game. The Saints got the ball back in overtime and Drew Brees threw a pick. I've never been a huge like fan of Sean Payton and the way he uses Taysom Hill, I, to be honest, thought there would have been a decent shot that Taysom Hill was named the Saints starting quarterback this year, not because he necessarily deserved it and that he was going to be better than Jameis, but just because of the fact that I think Sean Payton has this weird fascination with him and wanted him deep down to be the quarterback of the future when Drew Brees ultimately retired. That's why he was using him so often, and I think it ultimately 
in some ways ruined the rhythm uh, that New Orleans Saints team had. And that was my main problem with the Saints over the last couple of years. They lose a lot. I think they take a slight step back, finishing at nine and eight. I think it is a year of transition, but their talent uh, will win them nine games. I have the Saints finishing third place in the NFC South with a record of nine and eight. They're over under right now is nine. So I think that will uh, hit on the spot. Finishing in fourth place in this division, I will predict them to have a record of 5-12 and 12, will be the Atlanta Falcons. And the Falcons, if you've watched this team over the past couple of years, they've been one of the most frustrating teams in the NFL. There have been very few teams that really, it started in that Super Bowl game against the Patriots when they were down 28-3. There were very few teams in the NFL that have lost as many just devastating, heartbreaking games as this Atlanta Falcon team. And it's unfortunate because I think Matt Ryan's a good quarterback. He's had a really good career, but he just has never really been able to get to the big game and win it. And this season, the Falcons are another team that are going through some transition. I really like Arthur Smith as an offensive coordinator and a a, a play caller. I think that Tennessee is really going to see early on just how much he really meant uh, to that offense. But I don't know about him as a head coach. Do I know that he could be the guy that ultimately turns this Atlanta Falcons defense around? He will bring in Dean Pease, former uh, defensive coordinator of the Ravens and the Titans. He's going to be the D.C. over there uh, for Atlanta. And I think this is going to be one of the worst defenses in the league, to be quite honest with you. I think the Falcons are going to be a team that gets in a lot of shootouts. They're going to be able to put up a lot of points, but they're also going to give up a lot of points. And Matt Ryan, he's a a veteran quarterback. They really didn't have a choice but to uh, bring him back for this season. Obviously, he's still making a lot of money. But I did think that the Falcons maybe should have considered drafting a quarterback in this year's draft. They obviously ended up going with Kyle Pitts, the young tight end uh, from the University of Florida. And Pitts is a kid that he's big time, man. He has all the physical attributes. He is uh, was the highest drafted tight end in the history of the NFL draft, going at number four overall. And I think it was a really impressive uh, career he put together, especially his last season at the University of Florida. You combine him with Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, some good young receivers over there. I think the Falcons are going to be able to put up points. I just think they're going to need to find their quarterback of the future, and they're just going to need to keep on improving guys on the defensive side of the ball because right now, quite frankly, their defense just is not good enough. Their secondary has a lot to be desired. A.J. Terrell uh, as your number one corner, good player, but I didn't love where the Falcons drafted him. Uh, I think that first round was a little bit of a reach. Um, Eric Harris, Deron Harmon, like Fabian Moreau, these are just linebackers. These are just veteran corners that I don't think have much left, and when you go up against some of the more dynamic offenses in the NFL, you could be in trouble. I think Arthur Smith is, is going to be a decent coach. It just may take some time. His team will be able to put up points, but defense is the number one concern. So to recap, once again, NFC South predictions, I'm going to have the defending Super Bowl champion Bucks winning this division with a record of 13 and four. I'll take Carolina in second with a record of 10 and seven, the Saints in third with a record of nine and eight and in last five and 12. Atlanta Falcons. Continuing here with our predictions in the NFC, it is now time to go to the NFC East. And I think one storyline right off the bat that stands out to me about this NFC East was that last year, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this here, the NFC East 
could have been the worst division in the history of football. It ended up that uh, the Washington football team won the division with only a record of 7-9. and And the first question I have off the bat here is that even though the NFC East last year was so bad, when you look at these four teams, I think each one of them has legit reason for optimism and reason to have somewhat high expectations. Obviously, Washington wins the division last year. They return a majority of that team. A lot of good young players on the defensive side of the ball. They should expect to win the division and return to the playoffs. I think that without doubt, without hesitation, the most talented roster in this division goes to the Dallas Cowboys. But if you've watched the game of football, you know that it isn't always talent that ends up winning these games. It's the team that executes the best and knows not how to screw up and turn the ball over. Dallas, they should have expectations to win the division. The New York Football Giants, this is a team that even though they only won six games last year, I was actually impressed with what I saw from Joe Judge and the way this team is built, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But they have concerns uh, with the offensive line and some quarterback issues that we could get into later. And also the Philadelphia Eagles, who Jalen Hurts will enter the season, his first season as the Eagles starting quarterback, his first season under center. The Eagles kind of feel to me like a little bit of a team in transition, but at the same time, they still have a lot of guys who were members of that team only a couple years ago that ended up winning the Super Bowl. So I think all four teams have some intriguing storylines. Without further ado, let's get right into it. My prediction to win the NFC East is going to be for the first time in a long time. I believe it's been 10 or so years that a team in the NFC East has won back-to-back division titles. And for me, the team that I'm calling to do it this season is the Washington football team. I am super high on Washington going into this season. And I think it's crazy because a lot of people feel the same way that I do, right? When you look at this Washington football team, we're picking them to win the NFC East after they won it last year. And it's crazy because only last year, it felt like we were in this consistent trajectory of Washington just being the worst run organization in football. We all know what Daniel Schneider's history as an owner contains of. But at the same time, he really tried his best last year to clean the culture, to clean up the image of Washington by changing their name. Obviously dealing with uh, everything that went down with uh, the sexual uh, assaults, uh, allegations and everything that was going down there. He obviously got rid of the uh, executive that really uh, didn't. Uh, things really didn't work out there under Bruce Allen, and he got rid of him. Bruce Allen was the uh, Washington GM for a while, and he stayed there way too long. Things were obviously getting very toxic there. Uh, Bruce Allen was let go. I think that was a big key, and they decided to bring in a young GM by the name of Martin Mayhew, and I've been really impressed with the moves that he has been able uh, to make so far. I think that the Washington football team defense has a chance to be the best defense in the NFL this season. I look at this unit and I see dogs. I think Chase Young is a guy that in two or three years, he's going to be the obvious, obvious pick and the obvious answer 
for who the best defensive player in football is. And I know Aaron Donald still exists, and he's playing at a height that not a lot of other people could match. But in four or five years when he his game just starts declining a bit, I think Chase Young could get on that level. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat. That makes up one of the best front fours in all of football. That is a group that is just going to do whatever they can to get to the quarterback. I also like Matt Ioannidis as a rotational defensive lineman in there as well. They draft Jamin Davis, young linebacker that I think could be really good. They have Cam Curl, who is just a flat-out playmaker in that secondary. Landon Collins, they, they uh, figure out corner as well bringing in William Jackson. They have Kendall Fuller, uh, returnee. I love this Washington football team defense. I totally understand, though. The number one question for concern for this Washington team is quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick has never made the playoffs in his career. However, I do think that this is going to be the best defense he has played with throughout his career. I think the weapons around him, two guys, Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin. I think those two guys are stars, man. I think those two guys could be one of the better running back receiver duo in the NFL. And they are guys that could make their quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick better. Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, like those guys provide just a consistent running game that if Fitzpatrick ever has trouble with, he could uh, do a good job there, help them out. Their offensive line is getting better with Brandon Scherf, and they draft Samuel Cosme, a young prospect from Texas that I've really liked. And even if Fitzpatrick doesn't play great, I was actually really impressed with this kid Taylor Heineke. I get it. It was one game. But if there was any team that you ask yourself, who gave the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers the biggest matchup issue? Who gave them the best fight? You could argue that the answer to that question was the Washington football team under the lead of Taylor Heineke. I think they signed him for a reason. I think if Fitzpatrick doesn't work out, Heineke could actually be a pretty good starting quarterback in this league. I have Washington winning the division with a record of 10-7. and Their over-under is 8.5. I'll take them to go over. And Washington is actually plus 200 to win the NFC East. The favorite in Vegas to win the NFC East is the Dallas Cowboys right now with odds of plus 110. Their over-under right now will stand at 9.5, and and I am going to take the under there. I'm going to take the Cowboys to finish with a record of 8-9. and Why is that? The first two words that come to mind for me, Mike McCarthy. There is no doubt the Cowboys have one of the more talented rosters in the NFL, and obviously, after the devastating injury to Dak Prescott last season, having number four back under center is going to be a huge key for this Dallas Cowboys team. I totally understand that. But here's what a lot of people don't realize. Last year, the Dallas Cowboys, throughout the first four or five games of the season, before Dak Prescott got hurt, yeah, offense wasn't their problem. I give Dak credit. He got off to the best start of his career last year, and that offense was humming. But what was the problem? It was that still, with that offense being great, their defense wasn't good enough. As good as that offense was, they still couldn't win games because their defense was just that bad. And even with a new defensive coordinator, they finally get rid of Mike Nolan and bring in Dan Quinn. I don't think that difference is going to be good enough for this Dallas Cowboy team to win the NFC East. And they have plenty of talent. I think Micah Parsons is going to be a really good player. Uh, One of the few rookies that I think is going to be ready uh, to come in right away and 
make a significant impact as a linebacker. Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch, Randy Gregory. Like, there's plenty of talent on this defensive side of the football for the Cowboys. My issue is I just don't trust their coaching. Dan Quinn, we saw what the Atlanta Falcons looked like after Kyle Shanahan left after the uh, 2016 season and after that 28-3 Super Bowl debacle. And here's my, here was my issue with that Falcon team, right? You could have expected their offense to take a little bit of a step back considering the fact that Kyle Shanahan is an offensive mastermind. He's a genius. He clearly makes quarterbacks better with that system. The issue is, why did the defense just kept on getting worse and worse when that's Dan Quinn's baby? Dan Quinn was able to coach a Super Bowl winning defense in Seattle. Obviously, it's, you know, when you compare Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and, uh, Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright to really any other defense in the league, that's going to be hard to do. But I just would have wanted the Falcons defense to be a little bit better over the past two years. And they really didn't show any signs of life. They didn't really have a pulse. And when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, given their history, given their expectations, I've just seen this movie way too many times before. I think their offensive line, especially without Zach Martin, he's going to be uh, out for the first Sunday night, uh, Thursday night football game of the season on NBC against uh, Tampa Bay. I think with him being out, Dallas's offensive line really isn't anything special. Like Lyle Collins, Tyron Smith, at this point in their career, I just don't know if they're the same player that they once were, especially Tyron Smith at his peak, at his heyday. He is obviously a Hall of Fame type talent, but at the same time, could you trust him to be your rock and your number one anchor without Zach Martin against what is going to be a really good Tampa Bay Buccaneer pass rush? I just don't trust this Cowboy team. I think they have enough talent to win eight games. And one more comment, Mike McCarthy, he's the biggest con man in the NFL. He's gotten very lucky throughout his career to be around some elite talent, whether it's Aaron Rodgers and that Packer team, which they just lost so many frustrating playoff games. I mean, the fact that Mike McCarthy kicked, what, two, three field goals from the one, two yard line in that game against Seattle. If I'm a Packer fan, to be honest with you, I'm still absolutely livid about that lost NFC championship game. Uh, That was on Mike McCarthy. Uh, They didn't come ready to play against the Atlanta Falcons in that other NFC championship game. The loss to Arizona, like Aaron Rodgers got Mike McCarthy out of there for a reason. He talks in during the season, he took off about being Mr. Analytic. He said, He watched every single snap of the 2019 season and evaluated it based on analytics, like something like that. And he basically, in his introductory press conference, then lies about it. And it said he lied about it and said, uh, you know, I was just really making all that up. I uh, just wanted to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I think Mike McCarthy is a disaster waiting to happen. I don't trust him as the head coach of Dallas, given his history. I have the Cowboys finishing in second with a record of eight and nine. Finishing in third with a record of 6 and 11 for me is going to be the New York Giants. And when it comes to Joe Judge, it's weird because last year at this time, I was super, super skeptical. I said, wow, watching a Bill Belichick guy, we know the history of how those kind of guys have done in the NFL over the last couple of years, plus this Bush League high school mentality of making his players run laps after they mess up. Like, this is the NFL. Players could run a million wind sprints if they have to. I think if you want to take accountability and, and gain some respect, take a player off the field if he's not performing. It's that simple. But the New York Giants, this is a team that I think has one of the more underrated defenses in the league. I think last year, there were many times where... 
the New York Giants defense put the team on the back. I think James Bradbury is one of the five best corners in the NFL. Blake Martinez, a really good tackling linebacker. Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence have a good ability to get to the quarterback. But then you look at the offensive side of the ball. And I think it's interesting because from afar, you look at the offense for the Giants and you should say there's no reason to think it shouldn't be better based on what we're going to see this year from Saquon Barkley being healthy. Another year in the offensive system for quarterback Daniel Jones to learn. And you have Andrew Thomas, a second-year left tackle. You bring in Kenny Galladay, uh, Kadarius Toney, the young receiver from Florida. Like There are many reasons to think that this Giants offense should be significantly improved. My issue is two things. One, the offensive line. It looks like right now Andrew Thomas is turning out to be a bad pick. And it's only been one year. We'll see if he could recover. But I'm seeing some other offensive tackles from that draft, including Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills and Mekhi Becton. Like, those guys are looking pretty good. And after only one season, I get it, only one season, Andrew Thomas was very disappointing last year, especially to start. I liked Will Hernandez as a right guard coming out of college. That pick hasn't looked great for Dave Gettleman. And it's weird because Dave Gettleman gets a lot of hate. I get it. He's a guy who refuses to trade up. He's a goofy looking guy. I think he's an easy guy to target just based on appearance. But I don't think he's done a terrible job. Like He's made some okay moves, bringing in Leonard Williams, bringing in Logan Ryan, uh, Jabril Peppers, James Bradbury. Like I think the Giants won the Odell Beckham Jr. trade right now. They, you know, they got a much more uh, better assets back than what a lot of other teams could have, and they um, have taken advantage. Like I think Dexter Lawrence is a really good player. I think Jabril Peppers is a really good player. Um, but the two moves for Dave Gettleman that have really rubbed me the wrong way is Daniel Jones taking him. I've just never watched this guy and saw a top 10 quarterback with top 10 talent. If you are taking a quarterback in the top 10, you have to be willing to live or die by his performance. And that is why I think this season is so big for Dave Gettleman and Daniel Jones and the New York Giants, because now there are no excuses. Last year, we looked at the weapons around Daniel Jones, especially without Saquon Barkley, and said even some of the better quarterbacks in the league couldn't succeed with this group of skill position players around. But now there, there are no more excuses. Bringing in Galladay, bringing in Tony, and bringing in uh, back a healthy Saquon Barkley, it's a big year for the Giants. All of the pressure in the world is on Daniel Jones, and I just don't believe in this guy. He turns the ball over way too much for me. I think there becomes a point where even after you have a young quarterback who's only been in the league for about three years after this year, that will be the situation for Daniel Jones. You just have to sometimes admit that you messed up. And if the Giants really wanted to get crazy and take Justin Fields in this draft like the Chicago Bears did, they easily could have. And I think right now, if you ask me, who would you rather have on your football team as your starting quarterback, Justin Fields or Daniel Jones? The answer for me would be Justin Fields. I would be willing to roll the dice without seeing Fields take a real NFL in-game snap yet. That is how uh, low I am on Daniel Jones. Once again, I think you've seen some flashes, but the turnovers and the inability to read the pocket and the offensive line just being not good. I am not too high on the New York Giants. I have them finishing in third with a record of 6-11. and 11. And finishing in last place for me is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles with a record of 4-13. and 13. By the way, for the New York Giants, their over-under win total was... Uh, I don't know. Let me just get this here. 
The Giants, over under win total was seven. I will take the slight under there. I think they get six. Finishing in fourth for me is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles, and I understand a lot of Eagle fans are going to look at the fact that I have Philadelphia finishing in last, and you're going to say, Zach, why do you hate the Philadelphia Eagles so much? This is a team that has some talent, and I agree. I actually think the Eagles are going to be better and more competitive than a lot of people expect. I think they're going to be similar to what the New York Giants and the Carolina Panthers were last season, a team that wins five, six games, but is really competitive. And because they're so young, especially at some core positions, they're going to struggle to close out and win some games. I do think Jalen Hurts is much better than I would have ever expected him to be. Coming out of college, I didn't necessarily know if this guy was going to be able to make all of the NFL-level throws. Uh, And he was drafted in the second round. I I didn't like the pick at all because I said, the Eagles, what are you doing messing with Carson Wentz and his confidence? It turns out Wentz, his attitude was so bad, they had to ship him out of town. But this is Jalen Hurts' job now. They bring in Gardner Minshew. Um, You know, maybe they go to him before the time the season wraps up. But still, Jalen Hurts is the quarterback. And... I think he has some weapons around him. Like, Miles Sanders is a really good running back. That's a guy that could play on my team any day of the week. Devontae Smith obviously won the Heisman last year. He's a baller. Jalen Rager has been making some highlight-level catches in practice over uh, the last couple weeks. Quez Watkins is a player. Like, they have some good guys on this offense. And even on defense and and the offensive line, like, they still have some holdovers from that Super Bowl team a couple years ago between Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson. I'm actually a big fan of this kid, uh, Jordan Mailata, a left tackle that stepped up and did some big things for Philadelphia last year. The defense still has some holes. But at the same time, they still have some dudes – Obviously, that carried over from that Super Bowl team, like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and uh, Derek Barnett. Darius Slay is an impact player on the defensive side of the ball as well. A player I really like from their team is Kayvon Wallace, young safety. He made some impact plays uh, last year from Clemson. I think Philadelphia, even though I'm only predicting them to win four games, when I think they're going to be better than people expect. I think they're going to be more competitive than people expect. It's just... Jeff Lurie, an owner that has been a really good owner over the last couple years, I consider Philadelphia to be one of the more well-run teams in the NFL. I just feel like every year they find themselves in the playoffs one way or, or the other, even if they win the big game or not. And I think their front office knows what they're doing. I do think that whether Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the future or not, they said they're in transition. I think it's going to be an in-transition kind of season. It's just when your owner says that, I have a hard time taking you to win football games. But I do think they're going to be competitive. I do think they're going to be in a lot of games. A concern for me about the Eagles is their head coach. Nick Sariani, he hasn't coached a game yet, so it's hard to judge him. But every time this coach opens his mouth at the, at the podium, and I'm big on that, I really want your coach to be, uh, you know, a, a sh- look like a leader and look capable and know what he's talking about uh, during those press conferences. And Nick Sariani hasn't really been able to do that yet. I don't think he's really been able to take the uh, force out of the room and deliver it with his own hands. But at the same time, as a football coach, you just never know. I've heard some good things about him uh, in terms of everything that's been going on on the field. So that's the NFC East. I think Philadelphia is a fascinating team. I think they're talented with some holdover guys from that those past Super Bowl teams, as well as a nice combination of young talent with uh, Hertz and Rager and Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins. Uh, we'll see what ends up going down there in Philly. To recap my NFC East predictions, I will have the Washington football team 
winning the division with a record of 10 and 7. In second, I'll take Dallas with a record of 8 and 9. Giants in third at 6 and 11. Eagles in fourth with a record of 4 and 13. That is the NFC East. The last and final division that we will be going over today is the NFC North. And this is another division where I look at it and there are just a lot of storylines when it comes to all four teams. We know everything that has gone down between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers for uh, this season. We also know everything that's been going down with the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields and that uh, situation. Plus, you have Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. He's been in the news a little bit this offseason. Dan Campbell and Jared Goff, that era, will start in Detroit. So there are a lot of things to talk about when it comes to the NFC North. So without further ado, let's get right to it. My prediction to win the NFC North with a record of 11-6 is the Green Bay Packers. And it's funny because I look at this Green Bay Packer team and I look at their schedule and I do think in terms of regular season, this it's going to be very hard for these guys to match the season that they had last year. With that being said, I think Matt LaFleur deserves a lot of credit. Ever since he's gotten to Green Bay in the regular season and you know some playoff games as well, all he does is win. And ever since he got to Green Bay, you could see just how engaged the offense has been. We saw Aaron Rodgers under Mike McCarthy, and it was clear things look stale. There weren't really that many games over the last couple years of the McCarthy era where Aaron Rodgers just balled out and the Packers won games because of him. Last year, after some time in that offense, he was obviously much more used to it. Aaron Rodgers looked like peak Aaron Rodgers, and he won the MVP of the league, and he was probably the best player in football last year. It was such a phenomenal season. It was so fun to watch. But this year, it's going to be interesting to see if that continues. The Packers, we know everything that went on with the drafting of Jordan Love. I said it at the time, and I'll say it again. When the Packers made that pick, I didn't necessarily hate it. If they were willing to realize, if this doesn't work out, then we are in big, big trouble. Like, let me just ask you guys. If you're Aaron Rodgers, how do you feel about just winning the MVP? You literally were the best quarterback in football last year. And the best way your team decides to repay you is by drafting Jordan Love, a guy who is super raw, a a guy that I think when the Packers were evaluating him, They kind of had their blurry glasses on and saw some things that Patrick Mahomes was able to do and were just like, you know what, we're going to take this guy instead. And I don't think enough people realize outside of Green Bay that Jordan Love literally was not good enough last year to be the backup quarterback. He got beat out by Tim Doyle. I think that is something that a lot of Packer fans or that a lot of NFL fans outside of Green Bay, when it comes to Jordan Love and the future of this Green Bay Packer team, like that's something they have to realize. And I think Jordan Love's performance this preseason didn't necessarily enhance the Packers' confidence in him. Like I feel like the Packers are just a team that because they drafted Aaron Rodgers a couple years or you know 10 12 years ago and we know everything that went down with him and Brett Favre and how Aaron Rodgers had to wait for a couple years and he came in and ultimately was the next big thing in the NFL 
I don't see that happening here with Jordan Love. I just don't think he's good enough. And if the Packers were going to take Jordan Love, they needed to realize that this is such a big decision we were about to make that if it doesn't work out, considering we know, even though Aaron Rodgers is an elite player, sometimes he could be a little bit difficult to work with. He really isn't the easiest guy in the room to be around and to, to communicate with, but Packers needed to realize that their best chance of winning a Super Bowl is with Aaron Rodgers under center. And a couple weeks have passed by since we've discussed Aaron Rodgers and anything with him off the field. And I do like this Packer team. I really would have tried to pick another team in the NFC North to win this division. But I got to be honest with you guys. I just think the Packers are flat out better than everyone else in this division. Aaron Rodgers is really a given 9 to 10 wins when he is under center as your starting quarterback combined with Matt LaFleur and his ability uh, to win games. Devontae Adams is back. Obviously, they bring back Randall Cobb, a guy who may not be what he once was at one point in his career, but we all know that Aaron Rodgers loves throwing this guy the football. uh, Valdez Scantling, a young receiver, and Alan Lazard, who I really like. So I do think the Packers are going to have no problem putting up points. A couple concerns for this team. Number one, David Bakhtiari, one of the best left tackles in the league. I do believe if he does play in the NFC Championship game last year, the Packers would have had a really good chance to win the Super Bowl. Yes, they should have won that game anyway, but at the same time, Bakhtiari is a huge, huge key. They also lose Corey Lindsley, starting center to the Los Angeles Chargers, a guy who has been with this team for a while now, and a guy who Aaron Rodgers really trusts. Now, there are going to be two rookies starting on the offensive line, Josh Myers and Royce Newman. They do bring in a new defensive coordinator. I do think that two years ago, the Packers' defense was one of the more underrated units in the league. They they were getting pressure on the quarterback at all times. I really loved uh, the work Darius Smith did. And I still think this defense is really good. But at the same time, last year, especially in the beginning of the season, they were kind of a little disappointing. There's talent on this defense. I think Jair Alexander is one of the five best corners in the NFL. I love uh, Darnell Savage. I think he's going to be a big-time player in this league for a long time. They drafted Eric Stokes to hopefully replace uh, Kevin King. We all saw what Kevin King did in the NFC Championship game. If you're a Packer fan, I guarantee you're still having nightmares about that game. Also, um, Kenny Clark is a is a big key uh, on the defensive line as well. He's been in Green Bay for a couple of years. Now, um, I have the Packers finishing, once again, with a record of 11-6. and six. Their over is 10. I'll predict them to go over that. They are minus 175 to win the NFC North. I'm hopping on that. Once again, I tried my best to pick another team, not named Green Bay, to even consider winning this division. But at the end of the day, I just couldn't do it. That's how much of the difference is between the Packers and some of the other teams in this NFC North. Continuing with the North, the team that I have finishing in second place is the Chicago Bears. However, I fit, I had them finishing with a record of 7-10. and 10. I think the Green Bay Packers are going to win this division by a wide, wide margin. And when it comes to the Bears, I think this is another team that is super fascinating to break down, right? I remember Matt Nagy's first season in Chicago. I really did think that this guy was the next young star in terms of coaching in the NFL. He got Mitch Trubisky and that Bears team to the playoffs. He deserves credit for that. However, everything changed when Cody Parkey 
double joint that kick. And the Chicago Bears lost in the playoffs to the Philadelphia Eagles. For the last two years, even though the Bears were able to make the playoffs last year, I think you could consider Chicago to be one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL. And they had Mitch Trubisky as their starting quarterback. It is hard to win games with a guy like that as your starting QB. But now you have Andy Dalton and you have Justin Fields. And it looks like Andy Dalton is going to be under center for Chicago week one. Everything I've heard around Chicago circles is that Justin Fields is not going to start by at least week four or week five. And to be honest with you, I don't get it. I watch Justin Fields play and I just look at him. He has every single physical attribute in the book. He is tall. He could run. He has a cannon arm. And by the way, when I said he could run, he can run fast. He run he ran a 4-5 combine, which is faster than most players on the Bears. He's super athletic, and he played in big-time bowl games in college. I am really confused as to why, in a quarterback-hungry league, teams are looking to stash new quarterbacks all the time, how this guy fell to 12 in the NFL draft. I'm still not exactly sure why, but the Bears took advantage, and they do deserve credit for that. Uh, A lot of people do believe that when it comes to Ryan Pace, he should have been fired a long time ago. I do agree with that statement, but at the same time, you would have then had to bring in a new GM with Matt Nagy still as your head coach. And look, Matt Nagy has disappointed over the last couple years. He shouldn't have been fired, obviously. like They've made the playoffs in two of the last three years. However, I got to be honest with you guys. The more and more I watch the Bears in the preseason especially, and the more I look at the Chicago Bear team, I just do not trust Matt Nagy to win games this year, especially if Andy Dalton is under center. We know at this point what Andy Dalton is in his career. And at one point in his career, he was a really good quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. He balled out for those Bengal teams with A.J. Green and Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill. Those teams were super fun to watch. And last year in Dallas... After Dak Prescott got hurt, it was clear to all of us. The Cowboys offense took a significant step back. And when I watched Andy Dalton, I didn't necessarily think that he was a a top 32 starting quarterback in the NFL. Then in the preseason, I understand when you have rookie quarterbacks, you shouldn't just automatically give them the job right away. As I mentioned earlier with San Francisco, I have no problem with them giving the job to Jimmy Garoppolo because it's clear that Trey Lance is raw. And even though he can make some plays, he still needs some time to learn the offense. He still needs some time to tidy up. He hasn't played in an F in a football game really over the past two years. He's played in one football game over the past two years. So he's still super raw. But Justin Fields, when I watched this guy in the preseason, he looked like someone that was in super command of the offense. He really did a good job leading the guys, and he just didn't panic. I remember when Dwayne Haskins came into the league his first year. It was clear and obvious right off the bat that it was going to be sooner rather than later until Jay Gruden, the, uh, the Washington head coach, would be fired. And Dwayne Haskins learning that offense was just a waste because there was going to be a new head coach in the following season. I think if the Bears really want to invest in Justin Fields, they should do it right now to start. I totally understand that the Bears offensive line is a joke. It's one of the worst units in the league. But at the same time, Andy Dalton is going to get himself killed behind that offensive line. He's not mobile. He can't move at all. At least Justin Fields can. The Bears only hope is this defense who, look, 
I think it's a good defense, but I do think over the last couple of years, we've been automatic to put the Bears defense in the top three, four units in the league, and I totally understand why. When you look at Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson, Tashawn Gibson, Jalen Johnson, like Akeem Hicks, like they have some really good players, but at the same time, I've still been waiting for them to just step up, take over a game, and win a game by themselves. If they're not able to do that this season, I think it could be a rough season for the Bears, and I just feel bad for Chicago fans. The Bears are literally a team that has never had a 4,000-yard passer in the history of their franchise. That is a crazy stat to me that I think could be just historically bad. That that doesn't happen to a team unless you're just cursed when it comes to the quarterback position. They have to start Justin Fields as soon as possible. And the annoying thing is it doesn't look like that is going to happen. The Bears right now over under win total in Vegas is seven and a half. I will take the under on that. And I they are pl- uh, plus 400 to win the NFC North. The team that I'm going to have coming in third place in the NFC North, and this is going to be a team that will fall under the category of one of my more disappointing teams in the NFL this season. That would be Kirk Cousins, Mike Zimmer, and the Minnesota Vikings. And I will say this when it comes to Minnesota. There's talent on this team. I just can't trust them. I think Mike Zimmer is a good, solid coach. There are plenty of coaches in the league much worse and much more incompetent than him. But at the same time, when your head coach quarterback situation, or combination, I should say, is Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins, I'm just not exactly sure how high your ceiling could be. And I don't know if you're going to be able to outduel Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or even Matthew Stafford in a big time playoff game. I just don't see that happening. And another thing, I'm very concerned that at multiple times this season, the vaccine is going to be an issue in the Minnesota Vikings quarterback room. Kirk Cousins has made it known that he is not vaccinated. And I'm not saying this as a political statement or political side. All I'm saying is this. If you don't think that COVID and whether or not players are vaccinated or not is going to have a major big time effect on the NFL this season, then you just clearly haven't been paying attention during the offseason. The NFL, with the rules that they have installed, have made it very clear. We want you to get vaccinated. We want our product on the field as strong as possible. And the best way to ensure that is making sure as many players in the league as possible are vaccinated. And we saw this happen earlier in camp with Kirk Cousins. The, um, he just got buzzed for contact tracing. He didn't necessarily even test positive for the virus. He missed a practice. And uh, I'm just worried that's going to happen during the regular season right before a game. The quarterback position in the NFL is just so valuable. I'm not telling anyone what to do or what to put in their body. All I'm saying is in the NFL, it is difficult when you can't rely on your starting quarterback to be under center and in practice and in the meeting room week in and week out. And that's my first red flag with the Vikings. I think the defense is good, but I just don't think it's elite. I don't think it's a defense that is going to win you games with their play. I think if the Vikings want to win, offense would be the best way to do it. I don't trust this offensive line whatsoever. I don't trust Kirk Cousins. I'm not the biggest fan of their head coach. Like once again, he's good, but at the same time, I don't know what his ceiling is. I wouldn't be shocked, to be honest with you, if he's uh, out the door by the time the season ends. But hey, they do have a young receiver in Justin Jefferson who broke out last year, uh, was one of the great stories in football. I'd be curious to see if he could improve on that and get better entering 
2021, his second season, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook. It was obviously also a tough, tough injury losing the young tight end, Irv Smith. I'm a huge fan of his. I think he would have been a big difference maker uh, for this Vikings offense. Unfortunately, he's out for the season with a devastating injury during camp. Right now in Vegas, the Minnesota Vikings, they are plus 200 to win the NFC North. And right now they're over under is nine. I will take the under on that. I do think Minnesota is going to be one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL. And to finish off the Detroit Lions, they will be my prediction to come in fourth place in the NFC North with a record of three and 14. When it comes to Detroit, I'll say this. They are the laughingstock franchise of the NFL, right? There's no doubt about it. That is a place where football careers, no matter how good you are, go to die. But at the same time, I do think the Lions right now from afar are just an easy team to pick on. They hired a coach in Dan Campbell who makes you think sometimes based on his press conferences, he's better suited to coach Friday Night Lights than in the NFL. However, this guy was Sean Payton's top assistant for many years in New Orleans. Like, I don't think you get that title unless you're really smart and know the game of football. Another thing for me when it comes to these head coaches, I mentioned it earlier in the show, I believe, is how you handle the media and what you look like at the podium. I watched Dan Campbell in like just his normal press conference when he's not out here talking about, um, you know, breaking each other's kneecaps and, and drink and how much coffee he drinks during the morning. He is a guy that knows football. And I do think he's going to have the Lions like at least ready to play in most of the games that they have. The issue is just the talent. And the Lions are obviously a rebuilding team. Jared Goff playing behind that offensive line could be a big, big work in progress. And it just comes down to this in Detroit. The Matt Patricia era, it, it sucked. It, it really set this team back for a while. And it's funny because I remember last year at this time, I fell for it. I picked the Lions not to win the division, but to make the playoffs as a wild card with Kenny Galladay and, and Matt Stafford. They draft DeAndre Swift. I thought this offense could have been one of the more explosive offenses in the league. Obviously, uh, that wasn't the case. They let Matthew Stafford go get an extra first-round pick along with uh, Jared Goff. Um, but look, I look at this team. Their number one wide receiver right now is Tyrell Williams. Like, I think he uh, he's a, a number three receiver on a good team. That is the Detroit Lions' number one wide receiver. And I like TJ Hawkinson. He's a very good receiving tight end. But when those are the weapons that you're throwing to, and the offensive line is the way it looks, you compare that to what Jared Goff had in Los Angeles with an elite play caller in Sean McVay, a really good offensive line, good weapons, a good running game. And I think Detroit with um, DeAndre Swift, they also bring in Jamal Williams. I think the running game could be okay. But ultimately, I think we could all agree it's not going to be enough to necessarily win the Detroit Lions football games. They drafted Panay Sewell, who is huge to this organization. They're going to need him to come in right away and be a, a big-time player playing right tackle. It hasn't really gotten off to the best start over there in Detroit. You combine him with Taylor Decker, that hopefully should be a, a pretty good tackle combination. And also Jeff Okuda, a kid that they took in the top five in the 2020 NFL draft. He really struggled last year. He struggled in the preseason. And that's another guy that if I'm a Detroit Lion fan, I'm really going to want this guy to develop and get better sooner rather than later. Because not going to lie, guys, if I'm a Lion fan, I am a little bit concerned about Jeff Okuda, a guy that is supposed to be one your top dogs on defense 
especially defense right now, when I look at it, like there just aren't really many, that many impact players. Okuda is going to be a guy that has to step up big time. I will have the Lions finishing in last place with a record of three and 14. And by the way, you guys know who the Lions offensive coordinator is? Yeah, Anthony Lynn, my guy that just has no idea how to manage the clock. You combine him, Jared Goff, eh, I just don't see it, especially playing behind that offensive line. Lions will be my fourth place team in the NFC North with a record of 3-14. and 14. To recap, Packers win the NFC North 11-6. and six. I'll have the Bears in second with a record of 7-10, and 10, excuse me, had the morning coffee. Vikings in third with a record of 6-11, and 11, and Lions in fourth with a record of 3-14. and 14. So that is my division preview for each and every division in the NFL. The last segment to finish up today's show, I will give you guys my final playoff predictions along with a Super Bowl prediction plus my prediction for the Thursday night game. If you want to listen throughout the season on this podcast on Thursdays, we will be picking every uh, regular season game, obviously with the season preview. Didn't have time to record uh, to predict every week one game but on sunday before the games kick off just go to my twitter page zkrull3 and my picks will be posted they'll be up there and uh yeah you will see who i like in week one but to end today's show afc chiefs one seed 14 and three browns two seed 12 and five dolphins also 12 and five the three seed that'll be my surprise pick colts in fourth with a record of 10 and seven bills in fifth as my first wild card, eleven and six. Ravens in sixth place, second wild card, also with the record of eleven and six. And my final wild card, with a record of ten and seven, will be the Los Angeles Chargers. NFC Bucks. I have them as the one seed, thirteen and four. I'll take the Rams as the two seed, with the record of twelve and five. Green Bay Packers in third, with the record of eleven and six. Washington, the football team, in fourth, winning the NFC East with a record. Of 10 and 7. Niners, I have them as the 5 with the record of 11 and 6. Panthers in 6th place, my surprise team in the NFC. I have them in 6th place with the record of 10 and 7. And Seattle in 7th, also with the record of 10 and 7. My Super Bowl pick. I hate to be the guy who does the chalk. Chiefs over Packers. I do think that the two best quarterbacks in this league get back to the Super Bowl. I think Kansas City. How last season ended with their offensive line just completely falling apart. I think they get back on top to the promised land over the Green Bay Packers. I think Green Bay is in for a big time season. And honestly, Aaron Rodgers, after having the great regular season that he had last year, I think his goal is clear. Win the Super Bowl. That is where I think his main focus will be come playoff time. I will have Green Bay representing the NFC. My MVP will be Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. I just don't think there's a better player in football. He easily could have won the award last year. Obviously, Rodgers and his historic season took that away. But I think Mahomes, sooner rather than later, is going to be a guy where we could argue like he could just be the MVP uh, each and every year. I'll have Travis Kelsey as my offensive player of the year. I just buy stock in the Chiefs offense. What else could I say? I think Kelsey is a a phenomenal talent, the best tight end in football. My defensive player of the year will be Chase Young of the Washington football team. I think he's going to take a leap forward this season that puts him on the same level as a guy like Aaron Donald and Miles Garrett. I think he's that good. And my coach of the year will be Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are a team that not a lot of people are too high on right now. 
I think that eventually, by season's end, Flores and Tua are going to make a lot of people look silly. I have Miami, Brian Flores, Coach of the Year. And yeah, those are my final predictions. To end today's show, my week one pick, yes, I will take the Buccaneers to beat the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday Night Football. And that's about it, man. I think the Bucs loaded, bring back every position, every starter from every position. They're too good. Tampa Bay will be my pick tonight on Thursday Night Football. I hope everyone enjoys the start of the season. I hope everyone enjoys Thursday Night Football. And once again, I wanted to make myself clear. We will be talking football on this show two to three times a week throughout the season. Once college basketball starts, get ready because that's going to be a party as well. I can't wait. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone, enjoy the game. You are listening to the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast.